looking at a remarkable idea. An idea that has intrigued and attracted and literally thrilled thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children. And you, my friends, are about to witness this idea become a reality. For this is the story of the miracle sea in the desert. And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I am a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds from the underground. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show. A place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Live and direct right now on the TuneIn radio app. Search End of Days and you'll find the 24-7 network or go to michaeldeacon.com for further help. My guest this evening is Dr. Michael Aquino. He is no stranger to controversy. He is a former lieutenant colonel. He specialized in psychological warfare operations, former high priest of the Church of Satan. He is the founder of the Temple of Set. He is also the author and editor of numerous books. His accolades extend beyond comparison. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. I appreciate all of you out there, those on the TuneIn app, driving around, listening in. And, of course, those on YouTube, hello to you out there. Also joining me here tonight is Mike Hideous. Hello. There you are. What's going on, Mike? I'm uh, I'm hanging in there. How are you? I'm fantastic. Today will be a bit of a rattlesnake. Mike here is doing a bit of special co-hosting this evening. And, of course, Mr. Aquino is on the line right now. Let's bring him in. Dr. Aquino, how's it going? Well, I appreciate the invitation to come back. It seems that every time I'm uh, on end of days in California, the state's on fire again. So at least we <laughs> seem to have an apt title. But uh, let's hope that this is a, uh, a symptom or at least a, a, a sign that the fire season is going to get uh, uh, over rather than uh, increase any more. So we will at least hope for that uh, piece of good news in this. But anyway, it's a, a, a great pleasure to be back. Uh, I've very much enjoyed our previous conversations and hopefully we'll uh, uh, open up some uh, new ideas this evening too. Amazing. Now, of course, California is on fire. They say a mere campfire is what caused all the chaos and commotion. Uh, Mike, uh, well, Mike, I'll get your opinion on this, but of course, Dr. Aquino is out there in San Francisco. He is a lot closer to the fire than I am. I'm way down south, so I'm not really affected by it. But I've been reading the headlines out in your area in San Francisco, Dr. Um, how are you handling the air quality out there? I'm reading that it's completely horrible, and mm-hmm. a lot of schools have been shut down. 
Yes, the schools were yeah, schools were closed here for the last couple of days, and they actually had a new air condition, which they referred to as purple, which is worse than red. Uh, <laughs> I understand that if it goes beyond purple to burgundy, then you can just stop breathing. But it seems to have gone back to orange, which is up two grades. So uh, this isn't the time to go jogging outside, but at least uh, the air is somewhat breathable. And, of course, San Francisco is sort of a three-quarters island in the middle of all this. There are big fires to the south in, around uh, the Malibu area, and, and then, of course, in the northern forested areas uh, and underbrush areas of California. But so far, we are here on the coast, and uh, we haven't been affected per se. All we have to watch out for here in San Francisco is an occasional earthquake, you know, to send us to the bottom of the Pacific. Oh, yes. <laughs> or or droppings from a homeless. Something like that, yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's a oh, terrible... and by the way, just just one quick comment on the introduction. Uh, I was indeed the founding high priest of the Temple of Set, but I was never the high priest of the Church of Satan. That was uh, Anton LaVey's role from 1966 to 1975. Amazing. Ne- nevertheless, you were part of the the beginning of of the Church of Saint of the Church. Oh of Satan. yes, I was there. I was there the that whole time, and I was his principal deputy. Uh, the next highest initiate to himself, but he he was the fellow in the driver's seat, so to speak. I never held the title of high priest there. Understood. And, of course, I do want to remind you and everyone out there that this is an open discussion and everyone is free to agree to disagree. Um, no one has to definitely take anyone's side here. Everyone is free to discuss anything here on the program, and that's something I have to convey to you, Doctor, because sometimes I bring on a guest and it almost sometimes seems like they're a little bit intimidated to really get into things. And I want you to know that we have no restraint uh, here on the program. Well, and I don't have a, uh, I don't have what you would call a chip on my shoulder, nor am I particularly, um, uh, you know, vulnerable to criticism that way. I'm, I'm very much a curious person myself my whole life has been an investigation into unanswered questions. So I respect people who are still, you know, finding their own way through the jungle. And I try to be helpful rather than didactic or, or talking down or lecturing. So I'm perfectly comfortable with, uh, questions, including people who more or less want me to, uh, you know, stand up and explain, you know, where I'm coming from and what I've learned and how I learned it. So. I don't insist that uh, people agree with me. I, I do, uh, as I said, like to uh, help people understand things more rather than less. And if we can get things in going in that direction, then so far the good. Amazing. And, of course, before we begin, let's go back in time here. And both of your parents, if I recall correctly, were fundamentally religious, correct? Well, my father um, was a Roman Catholic, you might say a sort of a nominal one. He was um, born in Italy and immigrated over to the United States. My mother's family was originally Scottish. They came over during the uh, pre-revolutionary times to the United States. And uh, she was uh, she basically grew up uh, without any strong religion one way or the other, um, when she decided to marry my father, she looked around for an interesting religion to formalize it, and she settled upon uh, the Swedenborgian branch of Christianity, which is a 
um, very intellectual, very abstract, uh, small sect within uh, Christian religion, very famous for its arts and crafts effort and for its beautiful architecture, things like that. So that was the the that was their climate. Um, they didn't give me any strong religious indoctrination one way or the other. They uh, more or less said um, we'll expose him to society's general religions. He can look around as a kid, go to a few Sunday schools, see if anything uh, catches, you know. And so I went around to uh, a few of them, but nothing really took. But I didn't have, as I said, a chip on my shoulder either. I looked at uh, uh, conventional religion in the United States during my childhood, which was the generally the Eisenhower era of the 1950s, as something, as a, a sort of a moral general moral underpinning of what United States culture was supposed to be and uh, but but nothing that was uh, oppressive or intimidating in the way that religion used to be during the uh history of Europe that kind of thing so i took it casually i took it uh, um with a certain amount of interest but i i don't think i regarded it as something that was going to dominate me either. I looked at the kinds of legends and stories that I would hear from Christianity uh, as a child and more or less put them in the same category as uh, Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. You know, interesting metaphors, but something that you sort of grow out of uh, if you um, have no particular need for them, but certainly nothing to beat yourself around the head with. Yes, and do you recall what age you were when you came into this sort of realization that uh, what is being, I guess you could say, preached is not exactly conclusive with how you perceived the world at the time? Well, I never, I never, as I said, I never began with the idea that that this was a um, a hard vision of reality to begin with. Uh, and my parents didn't try to force one on me. So by the time that I was an undergraduate at the uh, University of California, I was, uh, I would say you could call me an existentialist uh, uh, in, in terms of the way that I looked out at society, which was a sort of a common intellectual attitude in post-World War II Western society. Remember that one of the big problems with the World War II era and beforehand was that there was a, uh, a a very strong rebirth of not just nationalism, but a sort of a glorification and mysticism of the state in places like Nazi Germany and uh, fascist Italy and uh, Imperial Japan. So after the war was over and an awful lot of people had died uh, uh, for all sorts of reasons, including religious ones, uh, such as the Holocaust, uh, there was a, a certain amount of, of social, I'm not sure that revulsion, but a certain amount of just social disinterest in trying to run society according to any strong religious norms or values. So I grew up in that kind of a casual atmosphere in the 1950s where religion was there. It was a social thing. It was a sort of Norman Rockwell thing. You might go to church on Sundays at social events and things, but it, it certainly wasn't a, a um, I would say, a, a strong or a governing uh, feature in in, uh, in the life of a child or a youngster in those days. Of course, I could go to a movie like The Ten Commandments that Cecil B. DeMille made or Ben-Hur or King of Kings and come out of it and say, woof, you know, you don't want to piss that guy off, you know, or, or he will dump on you, you know. So, uh, yes. the, you know, you got a certain amount of, of, of I would say, Hollywood, 
religion, you might uh, say, uh, and I don't mean that I don't mean that critically or or unpleasantly. I'm just saying that a lot of us probably learned a lot about the Old and New Testaments from what we saw from uh, the way that Hollywood presented it to us in swords and sandals kinds of movies. Yeah, good Absolutely. point. I agree with you on that. And of course, if memory serves correct, it was your mere curiosity that first got you interested in the Church of Satan. And I must ask you, Doctor, if at any time you felt you were necessarily one individual who felt they didn't belong or had no meaning, it seems like different groups out there, whether it's a religious group or even, say, a cult Lots of these individuals who are attracted to these groups, per se, they have that sort of, that mentality that the sense of not belonging or having a purpose, it sort of seems to apply to all groups. Go ahead. Let me take you back into the 1960s, which of course was a a very, um, very coming to grips with things time for a lot of people. This was after the Eisenhower era. This was the time of... John Kennedy and his new frontier, and then the Kennedy assassination and the disillusionment with the Vietnam War and and counterculture generally. So um, you had a lot of you know sort of young persons or young adults at that time who were um, sort of disaffected by what they'd been brought up to believe. You know, we, we we were sort of brought up to believe that everything was going to be like Walt Disney said it was going to be in Tomorrowland. And it isn't turning out that way. You know, it's, 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 uh, we've been deceived. It's hypocritical. And so what are we supposed to do with ourselves? So there was a lot of thrashing around, um, not just within occultism, but just in re- religion or, or society generally in the 1960s with a lot of young people and older people trying to say, well, what is, you know, what is reality? I mean, what is goodness? What is, where should we be going with ourselves? Is there a purpose to this? Or are we just sort of, um, you know, self-gratifying animals floundering around uh, uh, trying to um, have as much fun as we can, sort of in a Hugh Hefner way, you know, before we croak? And uh, and and the Church of Satan was a, you know, one, just one of a number of pieces of the answers that were sort of cobbled together to address this. Uh, it's very easy to look back on something like organized Satanism or the Church of Satan and say, well, it kind of sprang into being like a great idea. Boom, you know. Well, it didn't. It sort of backed into existence um, without really knowing what it was doing to start up with. You had the atmosphere of a conventional society that was supposedly based on Judeo-Christian values of of goodness and the golden rule and brotherly love. And yet everywhere you looked around you, people were slaughtering other people, lying to other people, abusing other people. So there seemed to be a huge overlay of hypocrisy. And one of the strongest uh, appeals of the Church of Satan uh, was not just its religious or its metaphysical aspect, but the fact that Anton LaVey took a very strong stand in terms of anti-hypocrisy. He was... He was not a personal saint or or somebody who preached to, to be a do-gooder type, but he said, look, I uh, am a person who is out for a certain amount of hedonistic enjoyment, a certain amount of pleasure, and, and the important thing is that I take responsibility for it myself. I don't 
Um, I don't blame my vices on the devil who made me do it or on uh, anything else. Uh, If I do something bad, it's because I'm a bad person and then I should be punished for it or because I was stupid or, uh, or had some other failing that way. And if I do something good, it, it reflects something that I can take honest credit for in my own character and say, good, I'm an admirable person in this way. So there was right off the bat, and this was one of the things that appealed to me as an existentialist at that time, there was this great call for a real down-to-earth honesty about the kind of person you actually are, whether for good or for, or for not good. You take responsibility for yourself. You don't blame it on Satan or God or anything else. And therefore, the notion was uh, also stated at the time that we we didn't actually worship the devil in the terms of worshiping evil or Satan. We we worshiped ourselves in terms of the spiritual essence of what we were, the goodness or, or not goodness that was in each of us. And actually, the Church of Satan, in a very strange way, wound up being, because of that, a champion for goodness, for for decency, for admirable qualities, the kind of thing that Plato referred to as the agathon, you know, the seeking of the good in, in an individual. Because now you didn't have an excuse for being a jerk anymore. <laughs> so if you were going to be admirable, you had to deserve it, and to deserve it, you had to behave that way and sort of know why you were behaving that way. So that was the social aspect of the Church of Satan that appealed to me. And the metaphysical aspect was because I'm one of those people who very quickly concluded that the universe is composed of a lot more than just simply its mechanisms. There is a structure and a concept that underlies what you might call natural law, that makes natural law natural law. We look around us and we see that everywhere about us, um, the chemistry, the physics, the, the mechanisms of existence are functioning, but they also function, as far as we have been able to deduce, on a universal standard of consistency everywhere. Um, if you combine a, an oxygen atom with a hydrogen one on Mars, it behaves the same way as if it, you do that on Earth or on Alpha Centauri. So there is a there is an enforcement mechanism to all of natural law that keeps it consistent everywhere. And that enforcement mechanism, that regularity that makes everything behave as it does, that means that if you look, for example, at a coffee cup on your table, uh, it will stay a coffee cup uh, 30 seconds from now. It won't turn into a pink elephant. And this enforcement Energy or mechanism or concept or whatever you call it is what most people really are talking about or would talk about if they wanted to take it back that far when they talk about gods or a god. This is the primal intelligence that, that constructs the universe as it is and keeps it that way. And there is no explanation for why it is as it is and why a coffee cup remains a coffee cup. It just is. So the Church of Satan... Um, in a metaphysical sense, was also taking a stab at saying, look, these old fairy tales of um, uh, comic book gods, uh, whether it's the the Jewish one or or the, the Buddhist uh, tradition or the Hindu gods or anything else or Quetzalcoatl of the Aztecs, these are all um, very, very crude approximations of 
an underlying principle, which is that the universe has some kind of a, a, a basic structure underlying it, but there is no consciousness that intrudes upon individual human consciousness beyond the mechanistic functions of our bodies, you know, the need to eat or reproduce, things like that. We are a kind of, each of us is a kind of an odd element out. We can separate ourselves from this. We can act upon it. We can consider it. We can think about it. We can take that coffee cup that by itself would just stay one, and we can smash it into five pieces, or we can uh, uh, build other kinds of coffee cups. I mean, we can take nature and mess around with it. We can't do that, uh, obviously, everywhere and to every extent. And if you push nature's laws too far, then you can also do a lot of damage. For example, what happened when they decided they were going to have fun splitting an atom right. uh, in 1945. And the next thing you know, you start doing things with atomic structures that left to itself, nature wouldn't necessarily do. And the next thing you know, you're asking for the whole planet to be destroyed. So that was the second aspect of the Church of Satan, was that it looked at the metaphysical mystery of being a human being, a human consciousness, and it said, we think we have a better way of approaching this to look at it and to understand it. So the mixture of anti-hypocrisy and a better way of looking at the metaphysics of reality in the universe were the real two factors that made the Church of Satan worth a damn. Uh, most people in public, in, in the media, didn't go that far. As far as they was concerned, Anton LaVey was a clown who owned a lion and uh, maybe or maybe not had been to bed with Marilyn Monroe. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and the Church of Satan was a kind of a um, San Francisco... I mean, we all know San Francisco's nuts anyway, but sure. this was another piece of crazy San Francisco that was a sort of a Halloween party every Friday night instead of going to church on Sunday. Well, that sounds like fun. Which, if nothing else, is probably going to be more fun. Exactly. It probably was. You know. So that tells you a little bit about how the Church of Satan backed itself into existence without really pre-planning to be so. It sort of filled, you know, it's sort of like water. You know, it kind of flowed into empty areas that hadn't been adequately addressed before, and suddenly we looked around, and there we were. And here we are with the church, and it was sort of like after the Constitutional Convention when the United States was founded, and everybody, you see these pictures of everybody, Ben Franklin and the rest of them standing around, and they've just signed the Declaration of the, the Constitution of the United States, and they're saying, okay, now we're organized, what do we do next? <laughs> so it was a little bit like that with the Church of Satan. We found ourselves organized as a church, and we spent the next 10 years trying to figure out what that meant and uh, where it could go. Yes, and of course, I'm not a Satanist for those out there who were wondering, but there are a lot of aspects of it that are kind of common sense to me, and my perspective on it is that it's primarily a big uh, self-help book. I think even Mike would agree with that. When I When I first read The Satanic Bible by Anton LaVey, I thought it was absolutely the best self-help book I had ever read in my life. And I have since become a full-pledged Satanist. I don't belong to the church per se. Uh, I didn't pay the dues, but I consider myself 100% a true Satanist. Well, the, the Satanic Bible also uh, was a sort of an afterthought kind of document that came along after Anton and... Uh, Diane and the friends around them had, had sort of backed themselves into creating this thing that they called the church. Because 
Anton originally, of course, was a, a sort of a freelance sorcerer in San Francisco. He loved the occult. He loves. He, he was a nice, spooky guy. He had seminars at his uh, nice, spooky fun house uh, over there in the Richmond district. And he was a very intellectual, very pleasant, uh, very unassuming man. He was, um, I would compare him, for example, to, you know, the scoutmaster of my Boy Scout troop where I got my Eagle Scout. <laughs> Anton was a nice guy. He wasn't mean, he wasn't nasty, he wasn't a jerk, and he wasn't stupid. He was a curious person with a wonderful sense of humor, and he was, as I said, a very honest person who liked to take responsibility for himself and and uh, be very frank when he was discussing it concerning other people. So when the the uh, lectures were being given at 6114 California Street, he would normally, these were on various occult topics or topics that had to do with occultism and the way you might react to a, a social problem like, say, the Black Mass or Life After Death or something like this. And he would, after the lectures, he would pass out uh, various mimeographed handouts that sort of summarized this. We used to call them the rainbow sheets because they were all on bright paper. And uh, by 1968, after the church had been in existence for a couple of years, um, people were sort of clamoring and saying, well, why don't you write a book? Uh, every other religion has, a, you know, a Bible or a, uh, you know, some sort of a sacred text. You know, How come you don't got anything like this? So uh, Peter Mayer, who was one of the senior editors at Avon Books, said to Anton, why don't you write a satanic Bible? I'll publish it. And Anton said, well, I don't want to write a satanic Bible. What, what would that be? And Mayer said, look, you've got the rainbow sheets. You can start with that. And then just add things as necessary to turn it into a, a book that, you know, we can publish for you. And then there will be the Satanic Bible. So Anton and Diane uh, thought about that and said, okay, we'll take a shot at that. So they assembled the rainbow sheets, put them together. That became what's called the Book of Lucifer in the original Satanic Bible. He was looking for a sort of personal statement from Satan because you would think that if you are, if you have something called a Bible, then presumably the God has to say something in it. And he looked around. He couldn't really find anything that, that was suitable for a personal statement from Satan or the devil. And indeed, we weren't really sure at that time who or what the devil was because we knew it wasn't just the anti-Christian scarecrow. That we'd already decided. It was more of a Miltonian kind of thing, a Promethean kind of thing a sort of unrealized dignity in the human character. Um, uh, and But there, but there, we really couldn't find a statement that reflected that. So Anton looked around, find, found an old pamphlet called Might is Right by a sort of a white supremacist type fellow uh, who went by the name of Ragnar Redbeard. His name was Arthur Desmond. He was an Australian, I believe. And he, this pamphlet, um, which you can find completely online if you look for it, was a sort of a cone in the barbarian approach to life where you're a, a rough, tough guy who, who stomps on people who get in your face. Um, you find the best woman and you grab her by the hair and drag her off to your cave. <laughs> and, uh, and basically you're the meanest MFer in the valley. Right. <laughs> so this was a very strong, powerful statement. And, Anton said, well, what the heck, I'll put this in. Nobody will know who wrote it, so it'll be Satan's, Satan's statement. And we all uh, accepted it that way as such, which gave the Satanic Bible a kind of a nice, powerful send-off, if you may, want to look at it that way, by today's standards. Sure. Uh, doctor, um, 
when yeah. you speak about uh, Ragnar's Might is Right, I have that I have that book. Um, uh-huh. Did you ever receive any uh, repercussions from using any of that, or was it written in a way that it didn't actually uh, take anything directly from uh, Might is Right? Well, it was uh, the original Might is Right, uh, and I have to I, I will confess that I did not I personally did not know that this was an old pamphlet until about the mid 1980s when I bumped into it. Uh, Purely by accident. I always thought that Anton LaVey had written the whole thing himself, <laughs> and I'd never cross-examined him on it. And I just figured that, well, okay, he, uh, you know, uh, this is his, this is, as I said, his sort of a Robert E. Howard Conan kind of a aspect to being bombastic and saying, all right, this is a satanic Bible, you know, everybody up against the wall. Um, <laughs> but the original pamphlet by Redbeard or Desmond had been written way back before the turn of the century. And so it was in the public domain, and basically nobody knew anything about it. It it, it didn't re-pop up as a pamphlet until, uh, I would say, the mid-1980s. And also, amusingly, if you've read the entire thing, you'll see that Anton also very carefully left out the chapter which which, uh, kicks women around, because Diane probably would have had him sleep on the couch if he'd have put that (laughs) in. Right. No doubt. And speaking of women... I hope you don't mind me asking, Doctor, but how is the wife? Is Lilith doing okay? Oh, she's fine. She's a uh, uh, she's in you know wonderful shape. Still looks the same as she always has, and she's of course very You're active in uh, animal rescue and sanctuary uh, affairs, which is her primary area of interest these days. And uh, just, she's just doing fine. I'm the only That's person with any health issues. As I said, my yes, my body is going through post-cancer uh, issues right now, but both is fine. Amazing. Wow. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that both of you are doing okay. I just thought I would mm-hmm. ask. And, of course, we are coming up to the point where I must ask you, in terms of splitting from the Church of Satan, what exactly was the writing on the proverbial wall for you? Well, what you have to understand is that, as I, I think I went into a little earlier here, the Church of Satan had a tremendous um, commitment to honesty and to sincerity. And when we said that we were the Church of Satan, we meant we were a church of Satan, which meant that there was not just, this wasn't just a club of people who were interested in Halloween parties. Uh, this was, there was a sincere dedication to this higher consciousness that is particularized within each and every one of us, but is also itself a kind of a universal font, a kind of a principle of individuality, you might say. Yes. And this is what we understood as Satan. And it's what made this a church and not just a club. And it was what we, uh, had consecrated uh, ourselves to and dedicated ourselves to. And what happened, uh, you know, when we had, for example, um, when we uh, ordained an individual to the satanic priesthood or a person went through the satanic baptism, it was, it was um, a very sincere and a, a very heartfelt commitment to this principle that took you outside of just yourself. You were not just a happy animal having fun there was something sacred in you that you needed to pay attention to and you needed to, um, and it needed to be the guiding principle in your life. So what happened, unfortunately, in, uh, 1975 was that, um, Anton, for a variety of reasons that are 
I mean, you could, you could look at them from all sorts of angles. He was in a great deal of uh, personal stress financially in his personal life. Um, he'd been in a good deal of danger for years and years with people driving by his home and you know, firing gunshots through the front windows and so on. Um, he had a lot of stresses about whether or not the, the Church of Satan, as he had conceived it, was going to be viable. He had also suffered some disappointments in the functional organization with people who didn't, who had joined it but weren't quite living up to the vision that he had for it. And he, to make a long story short, he made the decision to just quietly um, drop the organization as a functional church and turn it into what amounts to a, an Anton LaVey fan club. And I don't say this cruelly because Understood. it's uh, it's. There's a lot to be said for being a fan of Anton LaVey. He's an interesting role model, whether, you know, you're talking about a a Hugh Hefner with horns or what. But um, the church had ceased in 1975 to be, it it basically abandoned its metaphysical underpinning. It still had the, the, the kind of cocktail party glamour, but it had lost that authenticity. And that's what ultimately um, shocked those of us, including myself, who were sincere priests of this religion, of this metaphysical reality. So we said, uh, well, we can't, you know, we can't continue in this if it's going to be insincere, if it's going to be hypocritical, and we'll just have to leave it and find something or create something that is, that continues the authenticity and the sincerity, and uh, that's how we came to found the Temple of Set. So it wasn't something that we... It wasn't a palace revolution. It, it wasn't a power grab. It wasn't something that was done with egos uh, here. If anything, we were all pretty traumatized in 1975. Anton LaVey was like a second father to me, and I was devastated by the situation. And I just did this because I had ultimately what I felt was a, a higher and more important allegiance uh, to this principle that at the time we knew as Satan, and since then we have referred to by the Egyptian name of Set, and it was simply something that there was no other way to reconcile at that point. So that's may I what ask, may I ask a question, it. Doctor? Sure, yeah. Um, it, it, was there a, a lot of animosity that took place between you and Dr. LeVay? And if so, was, I mean, obviously you guys never spoke after that again. I mean, up into his death in, in what, 95, 96? Uh-huh. I think, uh, yeah, I, I'm thinking 98, but I'm not sure. But there was there was never any animosity between me and Anton at all, uh, at any time, on any date. I was, as I said, immediately in 1975 when he announced this policy, which he did. I had tried. I couldn't believe it at first, and I tried to talk him out of it. Um, in case you're curious, my book, The Church of Satan, has all of the original correspondence from those days back and forth between Anton and I and myself. I've and I, I sort of try, I couldn't believe it. I tried to talk him out of it. You know, I said, "Look, if the church needs money, you know, we'll 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 find some other way of raising it. We'll do this, that, the other thing. But don't sell the, don't sell the satanic priesthood for goodness' sakes. I mean, people, you know, that that's it doesn't compute. Doesn't it doesn't fit? We can't can't conceive that you would do this." And he more or less said, "I have good reasons for what I'm doing. Uh, just sort of do it and you know obey. You know and." Uh, uh, I said, I'm sorry, I just can't, can't do that. But I've, I've never ever uh, hated the man in my life. I'm terribly 
terribly sorry that that all that happened. I would be a much happier guy today if if the if he had continued on in the original uh, evolution of the church, and if he were still around in the high priest today, and uh, I had never had to do anything else, and uh, the Church of Satan had sort of continued to evolve probably into something very much like what the Temple of Set is. Understood. And would you say it's fair to even say this, was LaVey sort of, had, did he sort of get that rock star mentality, and was that something that wanted you to split off? It didn't bother me. I was happy to see him being the rock star. I've always been a kind of a retiring person myself, uh, I got dragged into the public eye, obviously, in right. a lot of the satanic hoo-ha stuff in the 80s and so on. But I'm I'm not out for personal advertisement, um, and I never had any interest whatever in, in competing with him. I, as I said, I, I respected and loved the man. And uh, in, in I thought that in the way he was developing with his personal career and his personal exposure, in the 1970s, he was inclining more and more to uh, Hollywood and to seeing if he could become involved and things like that. He was tech advising movies like The Devil's Reign, and he'd been in a couple of um, tech advising with some television shows and so on. So he was um, interacting with some of the Hollywood crowd and beginning to enjoy that. And uh, I thought that was fun. I thought it was great. Um, I, I was the person who invited Sammy Davis Jr. to become a member of the Church of Satan and uh, inducted him during one of his concerts down here at the Circle Star Theater in Belmont. Right. And after that, you know, he uh, used to uh, get together with Anton and Diana and myself all the time, and we'd goof off in Hollywood or elsewhere. And this was a lot of fun. This was great. I was more more than happy for uh, Anton to go on that way, and I, I think that he probably got bit a little bit too hard by the Hollywood bug and that it... Ah, uh, yeah. It, uh, you know, it contrasted with the very hard work of being a chief executive officer of a, of an organization of human beings who had some failings. <laughs> yeah, I, I could, it's not I could, the same thing, you know? It, it's hard to imagine both of you since it, it seems like both of you are so philosophically different from one of, one another. So I could only imagine some of your private conversations amongst each other. Well, it, it, actually, may. Actually, it seems yeah, that yeah. it seems that in the beginning, when when Doctor Aquino was with uh, Doctor Levey and they were forming the Church of Satan, they, they, it seems that they were on the same page. But as Doctor yes. Aquino just said, it was at that point when he started selling the 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 the, the memberships of the Church of Satan to people who didn't necessarily uh, deserve it. I guess would be the term. That's when well, things fell apart, and and as you just well, said, specifically uh, the yeah, specifically the priesthood. Remember that memberships. Um, you could join the Church of Satan without having to be intellectually committed to it. You just you could join it. The original membership fee was thirteen bucks for a lifetime membership in the mid nineteen sixties, and you could join that and get a red card, and then you could start to explore what being a Satanist was all about. And then if you found out that it was your cup of tea, fine. If you found out that it wasn't, you could leave it. What, what the, the, the problem had to do specifically with the satanic priesthood, which was a sacred office and was not the kind of thing that you could buy. You had to personally deserve it, earn it. Um, again, in my Church of Satan book, you can see that all through the first decade, Anton was the first person to be very emphatic on, on how superior and sincere and virtuous a satanic priest 
had to be. So it wasn't as though that Anton and I saw differently about this. We saw we saw everything pretty much the same way, all right up until 1975, and then suddenly there was this shock, and uh, you know, and that you know, then history proceeded from there. Right. But and it was a, I can't tell you what a surprise it was. Yes, and. Uh, an individual by the name of Gang of Four wanted me to ask you. This is the chat room, by the way. He wanted to huh? know. He wanted to know if you knew Zena. Oh sure. Um, I first, you know, Diane and Anton. Um, Diane was Anton's second wife. His first one, um, Carol, uh, gave birth to their their older daughter uh, Carla, and Carla Levey is still around. She has she. Um, is still involved in a personal way with uh, Satanism. And then Anton and Diane had a daughter uh, named Zena. And uh, when I was involved uh, with the church back in the 60s, Carla was, of course, a teenager, and Zena was still a little kid. But uh, I got to know them both both very well, and uh, they were very close and good friends. Um, after 1975, I didn't have any further contact with Carla, but... Um, Later on, Zena uh, contacted me and became interested in the Temple of Set. And she and her uh, husband, Nicholas Schreck, joined it for about a decade in the late 1990s. And uh, she uh, was recognized all the way up uh, to the fourth degree of Magistra Templi, very high initiatory degree in the Temple of Set. Um, then she had her own kind of falling out with, for ironically, some of the same kinds of Issues that her father did. She became a little too, you know, a little too dictatorial, uh, in an organization that is sort of very anti-dictatorial. And so she and Nicholas left and she is now a, an independent Buddhist, I believe, in Berlin. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's... Very, very nice lady. Yeah, both, both, Diane, both, both Zena and Carla, very sweet, very nice people. And of course, so is Diane. A lot of people gravitate towards Buddhism. It seems like Many individuals, especially now, it seems like they all flock to that. Well, it's it's a again a kind of a holdover from the '60s, where Zen and um, and these sort of vague New Age touchy feely things were a comfortable way to be to say that you were metaphysically interested and inclined, without having to get to, too committed about it. Uh, you could sort of be a very laid back. Um, uh, Alan Watts, you know, kind of Zen person and, uh, and talk a lot of fluffy stuff and not get into any fistfights with anybody. You know, Anton was a bit more of a uh, bull in a china shop. He said, well, there, there is a lot that we can figure out about the universe. We don't just have to sit back and, and, uh, and sort of say, um, you know, and that's it. We can actually figure this thing out. So let's go at it and figure it out. So the, the Church of Satan was more of a take no prisoners kind of an approach to the issues of being an independent consciousness adrift in this environment. Amazing. Mike, did you have anything to add there? Yeah, I actually, I had to ask you a question, Dr. Aquino. Uh, going back to the early days, the, the mid to late 60s, and even the early 70s, the original members of the Church of Satan, do you still keep in contact with any of them? I, I, I would imagine you guys were all probably around the same age back in the 60s. Do you still keep in touch mm -hmm. with any of them? Well, I did for many years. A lot of them have, uh, you know, have croaked at this point. Uh, oh. 
That's a and, shame. And, uh, and, well, you know, it's, <laughs> we're all getting older. In the circle. Oh, I, yes, I, I realize that. I, it's just, you know, yeah. I, you got to understand for me, this is a really big deal to get, to get to talk to you. This is, it's a big deal for me. I, mm-hmm. I studied the occult for six years. I, I became a Satanist in 2011 and, uh, it's such a, a, a pleasure for me to be able to speak with you because this I've read so much about you and the Church of Satan. Uh, I got to be honest, the Temple of Set is still sort of something I, I can't quite grasp yet. I haven't studied it. Um, We're but, still trying to figure it out too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, but yes, the know. the original members of the Church of Satan. I one of the reasons that I wrote my Church of Satan book, which is that big monster two volume thing is that I I included in it a lot of correspondence and contacts with a lot of other people who were the original members of the church so that their voices could also be heard in history as to why they became involved. Because, remember, I I spoke a little earlier that I became involved and interested in this because of my own kinds of reasons of curiosity. I didn't have a chip on my shoulder. But we used to get, you know, one of our earliest priests was a fellow by the name of Wayne West. He was a defrocked Catholic priest who had been kicked out for homosexuality and he was a Canadian, you know, and he had a violent hatred of uh, of Catholicism in particular and Christianity in general. So we had some people who would come to the Church of Satan saying, "All right, this is kick-ass, you know. I'm, you know, this is this is where we get even." So we had a number of different people who would come in for different reasons, and some uh, had a, as you remember, Anton Lavey also had a big interest in in circuses and carnivals. He had a lot of friends who he knew from his interest in circus and carnival activities. Um, so it, it it was very eclectic. You know, people could get involved in it and interested in it from a variety of different standpoints. And when you got together for a, a meeting of the original people in San Francisco, you would find a very, um, a very odd collection of people with different attitudes. There's a, a movie that you can see, a documentary called Satanis, S-A-T-A-N-I-S, The Devil's Mass, which you can find on YouTube. And it's also available as a DVD. And it was made about 1968, shortly before I joined. But one of the values of it is that it's a documentary of the church in its early days and has a lot of these early members profiled in it. So you can see who they were like and what they were doing. Uh, you know, I mean, one of my favorite um, incidents there in the movie, which I couldn't help but reproduce in my book, also had to do with one of the early members who said, well, you know, talking about the, the Church of Satan's attitude towards sex. Well, before I joined the Church of Satan, I used to masturbate uh, once a day and was very unhappy about it. <laughs> now that I've joined the Church of Satan, I masturbate three times a day, and I really dig it. All right. Yes, I remember <laughs> That's that. That's a good reason I, to I join a church as anything, so. right? So, okay. <laughs> That's it. Oh, at least he's honest. Yeah, well, I mean, it was that kind of a, it was that kind of a free environment that you could have all sorts of reasons for wanting to get involved in this. And the church itself was kind of feeling its own way and finding its own ground as it went along. You know, how can we make this sincere? Uh, but, but we all, we always had this feeling that we had to be authentic. We had to be genuine. Um, it was not a joke. It was not a stunt. It was not a prank. And and even though a lot of the uh, people out in the media world like to portray Anton LaVey as a clown. Well, LaVey, well, he wasn't. I, I don't want to say he was a yeah. clown, but definitely he had that P.T. Barnum-esque type oh, charisma, yeah. which is uh, which is he, very important. He had a saying. He said, uh, what you need is uh, uh, 
nine points social r- respectability to one point outrage, and then you can get away with the outrage. So he I said, like as that. long as <laughs> as long as people don't think I'm dangerous, then I can jerk them around and have fun with them, and everybody will like me and invite me to parties and be comfortable with me, which is the way it worked out. I mean, he was not one of these people that was viewed as a social danger in the way that somebody like Jim Jones or oh yes or Charles Manson or something like this would be. Anton was a nice guy. Uh, you know, you could you could go to a lecture at his place and, and be reasonably assured that you were going to emerge alive at the end of it. Um, <laughs> he was a nice guy. He was he was one of San Francisco's darlings. You know, understood. And by the way, Michael, it's always so much fun to talk to you here on the program. Always an informative time and just such a joy. You are definitely one of the most intelligent guests i've ever spoken to by far and i've talked to people like lawrence krauss and dr michael Shermer off air mm-hmm. and they might get pissed off at me for saying this but i think you are far more intelligent than those individuals well we all have you know we all have our specialties that we poke our noses into and that if we're lucky we can figure out things i've been as you mentioned briefly in my and in my introduction, right. I've been a political scientist. I have a Ph.D. from the University of California in that, so I know my way around political theory and political science. And I've been a 40-year specialist in the Defense Department and the government in psychological operations and psychological warfare and political military affairs generally. I'm a Green Beret, so I've uh, spent my years in Southeast Asia and Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam. Wow. Um, I've been around the block in these things, but I don't say that I'm, um, I'm a lousy cook, okay? <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't pretend to be an expert on any, on just everything and anything. I do know that the areas that I've tried to study, I think I'm pretty good at having figured that out. And I always try to be very honest in just saying what I, what I have discovered and what I still don't know. Yes, and I do appreciate that for sure. What a great quality to have. And of course, Michael, or Dr. Aquino, I have to address you by here tonight. I I still have to bring up the whole Presidio scandal only because the last time I talked to you about it, I didn't get to ask you what Anton thought about it. I don't think you've ever said anything like Uh, that before. Okay, well, again, just putting a little uh, context here. In the 1980s, the United States, and it wasn't just the Presidio, it was all across the United States, and indeed in places like Australia and Britain too, there was this episode called the Satanic Panic, which sort of got started with things like the McMartin Preschool scandal stuff in Los Angeles, and the writing of a book called Michelle Remembers, in which a, a Canadian psychiatrist said that his wife had just recovered some memories that she'd been brutalized by the Church of Satan in Canada. Of course, there hadn't been any Church of Satan in Canada at that time, but that was beside the point. In any case, this started this whole business of recovered memories of childhood sexual abuse and of horrific satanic cults, you know, and, and it started a wave of accusations and scandals around the country of people who would make accusations, uh, about their kids in in daycare or in churches or whatever, and then immediately file uh, claims for millions and millions of dollars or file lawsuits for millions and millions of dollars. And in my case, um, I happened to, uh, at that time, I was a, a, a colonel on active duty in the Army, and an Army chaplain based in the Presidio of San Francisco decided that he would rather be a multimillionaire than not So he completely invented, along with his wife, a fake accusation of child abuse uh, 
against myself and my wife, who had been 3,000 miles away at the time. Um, and he immediately turned around and filed for a $3 million claim based on it, uh, which ultimately was exploded as being just a scam. But by that time, it had been this huge media you know, scandal, uh, media circus around the country. And, oh, we've got, not only is this guy a Satanist, he's a psychological warfare officer working for the government. Uh, you can't get scarier than this, you know. And so uh, the fact that I and my wife had been 3,000 miles away at the time, and incidentally, his the chaplain's daughter had also been examined at the local army hospital, found out to be a virgin with no signs of any harm at all. But, but at that time, that was irrelevant. It was it had now become a social thing. So um, I dealt with it in the only way that I could at the time. I would uh, simply make these facts uh, conspicuous. Uh, and ultimately, I wrote a book on it called Extreme Prejudice, which you can find on Amazon if you want, which goes through the entire the entire thing, you know, from top to bottom, from start to finish, including with naming names. You know, the chaplain has never, ever tried to sue me about it or anything like that because he knows he can't uh, and so on. I filed court-martial charges against him twice, both of which times the uh, – uh, Corps of Chaplains managed to get suppressed uh, so as not to involve embarrassment to the Corps of Chaplains and so on. Right. Uh, but in any case, during this whole time, Anton was simply not involved uh, in it at that time in the 1980s. He was off doing his own thing. He had no connection with myself or, of course, with the Temple of Seth. And nobody had made any accusations that involved him personally. Uh, so he just sort of stayed on the side. The most that that it impacted on him was that people would go running around saying, well, we found a copy of the Satanic Bible at thus and such location where there were some teenagers who had just killed a cat or something. Uh, So therefore, the author of the Satanic Bible is responsible for all this. And ultimately, this resulted in a very infamous Halloween special by Geraldo Rivera, in which Geraldo invited both Anton and myself to come on, and, he, and Anton to talk about the Satanic Bible, and me to talk about all the Satanic Panic stuff in the Presidio. And I said, sure, I'll go, and I did. Anton said no. I immediately wrote him a letter and said, look, uh, please don't worry about me. I'm not going to put you in any embarrassing situations if you're there, and I'll be happy to you know, just sit you, defer to you if you're talking about yourself. Uh, so please, you know, come because I think it's important for you to stand up for yourself in your book. He still s- said no, but he sent Zena. And Zena arrived on the show. She was pretty scared when she got there. I took her aside. I said, listen, Zena, anybody tries to get in your face, I'm going to be on them. I said, but you just go on there and do the best you can. I said, I've got a lot of confidence in you. I think you'll do just great. And she did. She didn't need any I help. I saw that show. <laughs> Yeah, you could find that still today if you go on YouTube. Yeah. Those videos sure. are very popular. That one and the interview with uh, Oprah. Oprah. I yes. saw that one too in, in back in the 80s. I saw them both on television. <laughs> yeah, I had it. never seen I'd never seen an episode of Oprah. I didn't even know who she was. Uh, Diane, I mean not Diane, I'm Lilith knew all about Oprah. And when we were invited up to Chicago to do that show, I said, so who's Oprah Winfrey? And uh, she said, well, this is Oprah Winfrey. So I went on the show. She's a very nice lady and very, very polite, very gracious. I enjoyed the show. And she was very, I think, very honest about, um, you know, allowing everybody to have their say. And I, you know, punched holes in all the people who uh, were there to, to talk bullshit. And that was that was the show, you know. Bravo. Good for you. Yeah, it was a good show, by the way. 
Hell yeah, yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, I thought it was very entertaining and, of course, very informative. And uh, I, I still have to comment on some of the questions that uh, you took during your interview there with, with the audience. The guy mm-hmm. who claimed he, he murdered someone. Well, I thought that was funny. Know, yeah, well, if, you, if you're going to say that you murdered somebody, my question is, well, um, have you told the cops? What did they say? You know, where, where are the bodies? You know, where are the other people that are involved? Uh, one person said, I was a member of the Church of Satan, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, what was your ZZ number? Everybody in the Church of Satan had a ZZ number. He had no idea what I was talking about, you know, things like that. So uh, yeah. these people just make up stuff out of thin air, and because it was the days of the satanic panic, any accusation was was sort of given its, its day in court, you know, as opposed to that. I mean, look, we're seeing a lot of the same stuff today, except that the today's bugaboo is not devil's worshippers and Satanists anymore. It's it's radical Islam or people who, uh, uh, you know, have something to do with Donald Trump, you know, things like this. Oh, boy. Yes. There are and... different scapegoats. <laughs> there are different, 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 pe- different people have different agendas today. They really do. And one thing that really does fascinate me entirely is the fact that the Internet is still filled with people Ugh. still pointing fingers at you for this, that and the other. There have been, one point, I say, here's my book, yeah. go read it. There's been, you know? that's right. There's been a lot <laughs> of, uh, outspoken individuals and one being in your own backyard out there in San Francisco. And I think, I think you know who that is. And that individual is pretty crazy in my opinion, Dr. Quinn. Are you talking about, are you talking about Douglas Dietrich? I'm talking about Douglas Dietrich indeed. I think he well, lost he's his a mind. Person who, yeah, he, he came out of nowhere saying that he'd worked with me and been a, an associate of mine in the military, and he never was at all. You know, And indeed, if you go to his website and you start looking at his claims concerning his own history, all kinds of things fall apart there. I mean, the guy just invents stuff whole cloth. He said he was, he's been a member of various units that weren't in even existence. You, you better know, be careful, though. So you on. better be careful, doctor, because this guy seems a very strange. Someone that would probably go outside your house at night or something along those lines. Oh, you know, I've, I've seen so many bull throwers over the years that they, they all kind of run together in a blur at this point. I mean, if, if it isn't, I, I've, I've, you know, who is that fellow, uh, Icky, you know, in, in England who, He's convinced that I'm a half liver, half lizard being from Venus. Oh, David, David Ike. <laughs> yes, right. So, I mean, if I can be a half lizard monster from Venus, you know, then I suppose it's a few steps down to just be uh, allegedly a, a the, an old boss of Douglas Dietrich who just invented this out of clear blue sky. But if you believe something, if you believe somebody like Dietrich, then you've got personal problems that go far beyond me. Is all I've got to say. I 100% agree with you on that. The man is off his rocker. And one thing I must say, Doctor Aquino, is I, I need to check behind your ears for gills. <laughs> well, like Waterworld. It's funny because it, um, it's it's amusing because. Uh, um, a few years ago, I was made an honorary member of the Esoteric Order of Dagon, which was a Lovecraftian society that's based on the Esoteric Order of Dagon in his very famous uh, story called Shadow Over Innsmouth about half-human, half-fish people, you know, that were coming yes. out of the ocean. Mm-hmm. So I am an honorary uh, Dagonite, so to speak, and I definitely have a diploma to prove it. And in one of my books uh, called Illuminank, which I wrote when I was doing an analysis of modern and historic Rosicrucianism, 
I actually reproduce my uh, diploma uh, from the Esoteric Order of Dagon as well as my honorary PhD in medieval metaphysics from the Miskatonic University of Arkham, Massachusetts, which is a bit of a a leg pull, you know, because uh, my PhD from the University of California is real, and this one isn't, you know, but it's a lot of fun anyway. I have a question. Um, First and foremost, uh, not to get into this subject, this is not my question, but I'm assuming since you know about the Rosicrucians and all the the stuff that you do know about religion, you would know that um, the shape of the Pope's hat is supposed to be in the shape of a fish because in ancient times they say that the gods came from the waters. Yes. Well, I haven't I haven't heard that one before. Although certainly well, there's there's a lot of interesting fables that go around about Rosicrucianism. And in, in fact, the it was originally you know an offshoot of German Christianity because t- today the Lutheran Church has as its emblem a rose and a cross. And uh, uh, it originally came from that kind of a medieval background. But if you want to chase the Jewish God back far enough to find out where he came from. His original name, uh, he was a Canaanite god called El, E-L. El, yes. Yes, and that was his first name. You know, later on you would find things like Jehovah and Yahweh and Y-H-V-H and all this, but he was originally, back in the Bronze Age, he was one of a number of Canaanite gods, um, very uh, very polytheistic, very nasty, human sacrifice and all that. Some of the others were Moloch and Baal, you know, and El was just one of the gang. And the tribe of Canaan, Canaanites who adopted him was the one that eventually grew into uh, what became uh, ancient Israel. So that's where El came from, and that's why uh, he's a kind of a nasty character who isn't very pleasant and who's just generally beat up on his people over the centuries, if you really want to go back and look up his pedigree. you know. Well, aside from that, I'm assuming you must have read the book Holy Holy Blood Holy Grail. Yes, at some time I, I remember the title. I don't think it's something that I've read recently or that stuck with me that much. But well, I know there are not- certainly a lot of certainly a lot of conspiracy theories that have to do with uh, Christianity, of course, over the uh, you know over the millennia. Well, the book Holy Blood Holy Grail um, refers to the the possibility that Jesus Christ did exist as a man. Um, had, uh, was, instead of him being crucified, someone else was traded in his place to be crucified, and he was, uh, he escaped with his, uh, at the time his, his wife at, at, as it would be considered, Magdalene, who was pregnant, mm-hmm. and they fled to Gaul, where she had a baby named Sophia, and, uh, they lived out their life out there, uh, thereby saying that Jesus Christ was a mortal man, not divine. And, and that's the whole book, uh, Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Um, and it's a fascinating read at, at that. It was written back yeah. in, I believe, the 70s when, uh, yeah. I believe a, some type of a book was found, uh, in Israel or something to that effect. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it had something to the indication that Christ Jesus wasn't crucified and um went off and of course uh, even his daughter as as they say the daughter Sophia ended up marrying into royal uh the royal family of the Merovingians in in well in this Gaul. is i mean yeah i mean the 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 to sort of cut to the chase here 
Um, let me back up a little bit and say that I um, not only did a lot of studying in graduate school, of course, in uh, the history of, of uh, you know, metaphysical thought throughout Europe and the ancient world. I used to teach ancient, medieval, and modern political theory at Golden Gate University for several years as a professor. And I taught uh, the history, of course, of, of Christianity and Judaism and all this that goes back there. And I would say that a book like that is is not one that I would footnote because it's it's built on too many wishful thinking hypotheses that you can't really put a, a hard finger on. The book that I refer people to if they want to find out where the Bible came from and where its characters came from is one that's called Testament by the archaeologist. He's a British archaeologist named John Romer, R-O-M-E-R. It's a magnificent PBS series that he did where he t actually takes you on a guided tour of these ancient locales. And then in his book, which is still in print, again, it's called Testament, the History of the Bible. It examines how the Bible came to be assembled in both the Old Testament and the New One and, re and modified and revised over the millennia so that you find out how things like Jesus Christ and Moses and all this got created and assembled from pre-existing characters like the Epic of Gilgamesh and so on. And you, you get a picture of how this came together because it, the Bible and everything in it, including Jesus Christ in the New Testament, didn't just pop into existence, bang, you know, like a, uh, uh, you know, like sort of the King James thing, boof, there it is. Right. People were arguing about this for centuries and they were That's fighting right. about what should go into it and out of it. And, uh, there, there's a whole bunch of stuff called the Apocrypha, you know, that, that's, stories and chapters that didn't make it in or that were in for a while and then got kicked out. So you have to, if you're going to be a historian and an archaeologist, you have to be very, you know, very demanding and you have to go back and do a lot of, of serious, you know, serious examination of sources, which is what, if you look in some of my books like Illuminank or Mindstar, for example, where I go back into the histories of, of these religious movements and philosophical movements, you'll find huge bibliographies. And these are major sound scholars from the world's great universities and institutions who um, are cross-referenced cross exhaustively. You know, we weren't there. We, we don't know if there was somebody named Jesus, but it's a good bet that if he wasn't there, there were a lot of people like him. You know, I mean, look at Monty Python, you know, Life of Brian, okay? Um, so... There were any number of people who um, who had, who were considered to be uh, extraordinary uh, rabbis at the time who had a new direction to look at things. And, of course, there were branches of Christianity, Nestorian and, uh, and so on, that came out, and including the ones that you were talking about, the Cathars, the movement there, uh, that... that led into the whole business of the Holy Grail, which also has roots that go well beyond Christianity, if you chase it back far enough. Um, and, uh, I mean, this is, this is, it's, it's fascinating stuff, but it gets to be more fascinating as you get into the original archetypes and the original questions that people were trying to answer at the time when they bring up something like the concept of a Holy Grail, you know, which has to do with the perfectibility of the human consciousness and the fact that the grail symbolizes a kind of a standard of innocence in your personality that you have to reapproach and you have to attain before you can see the grail, uh, which is sort of the moral of things like uh, Wagner's Parsifal and uh, and the other great grail legends uh, as, as examined uh, 
you know, throughout history. Right. What, what, what about the whole concept of the word sangreal, meaning, uh, I believe it means the blood or blood of, uh, which they always considered holy grail being the holy blood, uh, which is another concept of, uh, what man has been searching for since the time, you know, biblical times of Christ. Um, well, the grail has always been symbolized in a number of ways as a cup, as uh, as a cup of, of blood or as of wine, or it's also been symbolized in many interesting ways as a stone or as a meteorite, something that fell from the heavens. Um, and uh, and also, of course, and there are some wonderful books. Again, I refer you to the bibliography and something like Mindstar to go back on this that go into the history of the Grail legends in a variety of different um, cultures throughout history, because almost every culture has something like that, where there is a, a sacred symbol of what is lost and found again in the innocence of the human experience. We're all aware that we start out as innocent, you know, innocent babies, innocent children, and then we become corrupt as we become more selfish and more more greedy, you know, as we go through life. And at some point, we begin to feel guilt for that lost innocence. Are and we say, missing? geez, I, I, I didn't start out to be this kind of person, but look at me, I'm surrounded by, you know, corruption and compromise and hypocrisy and things like this. And the reason that I can't be a good a Christian or the reason I can't go to heaven is because I've lost my innocence. And so, so people have tried to say, well, you need to be. You, you need to refine it, and, you, and the, the church can give it to you by by what they call grace, by administering a kind of a forgiveness uh, given by Jesus Christ through the church. Or you can be born again on your own without a church doing it, which is sort of the primary difference between Protestantism and Catholicism. Because in Protestantism, you sort of have to do this refining of innocence on your own rather than having a church administer it to you. Um, but the problem with this, and again, this kind of comes back to what the Church of Satan was all about, is that you can't, you can't really get back to a primal innocence once you've lost it. You can intellectualize it, and you can say, I am not going to do these and these bad things anymore, but that doesn't mean you've lost your understanding of what they are. You have now eaten of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, if you want to use the Eden metaphor, and once you've done that, then you can see what is good and see what is evil. And the minute that you can see those things, then you have in, based into you, you know, you have the corruption to be able to see these things. You're not a simple, uh, un, undiluted good person like Adam was before he took a bite. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Mike, can I ask you a question before we uh, carry on with this with Dr. Aquino? I, I have some questions that I want to start asking about the book, but I don't want to jump into it unless, if you've got an agenda that you want to. No, you know, no, we were the... we were just working our way into that because I know we are supposed to talk about the new book, and we'll do that right now. And I will lead into that segue with they say the universe is conscious, and I talk a lot about following your cosmic true will, and I sort of describe that as when you follow a certain path that it almost seems like the universe wanted you to take. And everything seems to align in a almost freakish way. The synchronicity seems to skyrocket to ridiculous proportions. And I believe a certain aspect of that, Dr. Aquino, you refer to it as kefir. Well, um, the kefir principle, 
which has been the sort of the the guiding principle of the Temple of Set. Uh, and you could say in an earlier form, it was the more sophisticated concept of, of the term indulgence in, right. in the Church of Satan. But Kefir has to do with the potential divinity of yourself. In other words, you 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 sort of start out as a base animal with animal instincts, animal senses, and animal perception of yourself. But the more that you learn about the fact that you can be something more than just an animal, more than the sum of your parts, then you begin to approach that dividing line between uh, physicality and, and divinity. And you become, in effect, a god, a divine being, a consciousness that ultimately will leave the physical body behind. So, for example... Um, we do not consider that uh, when you kick the bucket and your body decomposes, that you're gone. You're there. You've simply transitioned yourself over into a much higher state of uh, self-contained consciousness, uh, which the Egyptians understood in great detail, and which, again, I've explored extensively in the book Mindstar. Great book, by the way. Oh, thank you. But the you know, the point I'm getting at is that Kefir is this process of evolution, of transformation of the personal self. Now, when you were saying a little earlier about is there a goal, well, the Greeks had a term which was called telos, meaning that there is a a vision of yourself as an ideal perfected concept of yourself, a kind of, uh, this is the kind of person that I ultimately want to be or a kind of a God being that I want to be and that I can be, and that therefore my goal should be to realize this completely understand it and and move towards that kind of an evolution. And that is the, the Greek concept of telos, that, the, that in any conscious being, um, there, is a, there is a sort of a perfection that is innate in it. And what you have to do is to discover it and then actualize it. And if you have a mission, it's to realize your telos. Aleister Crowley was often criticized for saying, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Right. And everybody tends to rush, you know, the casual Thelemites will rush in and say, that just means have a good time and, you know, take drugs and sex and all this. No. If you read in in depth into Crowley's works, he says, no. Uh, what I mean is that you have to find out what your true will is and then do that. Correct. You have to, you have to find your telos. You have to identify the divinity in yourself. And then you focus on that and nothing else. And don't let anything else divert you from that. That's what he was talking about. Yeah, see, that resonates, that, that resonates with me yeah. wholeheartedly. It's, it's kind of amazing that nothing really that I have read has had that sort of effect on me. And again, I'm not a Satanist or a member of the Temple of Set to any degree. However, a lot of what you speak about and your philosophy they totally align with a lot of what I follow. It's without, common sense. It's com exactly it goes back to common sense and being an individual and taking self responsibility, and that's the problem with America today in society. Everybody wants you to be a part of this group type mentality. They want to they want to really box you in. It's it the seems. world, Mike. It's yeah, it's it's almost naughty and inappropriate to be an individual. Yeah. Yes, and this has been, of course, <clears throat> a conflict that's been going on since uh, uh, we first climbed down out of the trees, you know, and that there is, you can live your life as an individual, you can live it as a member of a tribe, uh, so to speak, or as a country or nation or whatever, or you can live it as a as somebody who tries to be a species 
person, a globalist or a, a member of just the human race. But these these aren't the same thing, you know. I mean, they they bump into each other all the time. So um, I used to um, get into these discussions, you know. For example, in my political science and political theory courses yeah. when I was teaching at the university, and people would say, "Well, what about this? What about that?" And I'd say, "Look, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that." There is only one way to think and that this is the way you should think it. I'm here to tell you that you have to fight your own way through your personal jungle because nobody, nobody can look out and see the reality that you do as you experience it. What I'm saying, suggesting to you is that there is a virtuous way to approach your regard for yourself. And as long as you've got that commitment to your personal virtue and to your personal dignity, then I think you'll do just fine. But Amazing. you have to have that as your, you know, as your guide. And we were talking about earlier about the Holy Grail. You know, that's that's the Grail. Each of us is on a personal Grail quest, and that's it. That's a You're great all, way. We're all looking for our personal Grail, and the Grail is Telos, and the Grail is found by Kefir. But you don't, you you know, the, these things aren't locked into Egyptian terminology. They aren't locked into Judeo-Christian terminology. They are. They are. They are universal principles, what, what Plato would refer to as the forms or first principles. The Egyptians called these the netaru, you know, the, the great natural principles of the universe, with, with the uh, netar of Set as the principle of isolate self-consciousness, providing a certain perspective against the others which are natural. So... These are these are quests. You know, when you say to me, you say, "Well, I'm not a Satanist. Or I'm not a Satian." I say, "Good. You don't have to use those labels. The important thing is that you're you, and that and that the you that is you is driven by a personal commitment to your own virtue. That's it. That's Anything else answer. is beside the point." Yes, but I will say a lot of your material, like Mind Star, was something I just completely loved and read through so quickly. And that is a great segue to your latest book, which was a revision, uh, revised vision of the uh, Satanic Bible. And I've been reading it, and it's extremely different than what I thought it would be. Oh, absolutely. And isn't it a lot different, Mike? Oh, my God. Um, if I may just say. Go ahead, Mike. Take over. Dr. Aquino, my goodness, this is one hell of a book, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> um, I ordered it the, the day it came out, and I ordered a hard copy, uh, hardcover rather, mm -hmm. um, and I have been reading it. Unfortunately, I did not finish it in time for this interview. I have been reading page by page with a microscope for each word, trying to completely understand it. And I have been taking notes left and right. So I want to say this um, to our listeners who are listening out there to the Michael Deacon program. Dr. Michael Aquino has written a book, uh, a, revis a revised book of the Satanic Bible. Right. Uh, which, from what I understand, there is no assimilation between – there's no assimilation to the original Satanic Bible written by Dr. Anton LaVey. But this book is, as you had mentioned, it's uh, uh, things that you wanted to revise and add to the original, if, if I'm correct in saying that. Yes? Yes, there's no there's no plagiarism, there's no copying. Uh this isn't an attempt to um uh to out N-word uh you know Anton or his book at all. Right. Um Right. But I, I didn't but, think so. Uh, no, but the 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 history of it as I mentioned very briefly in its own introduction is that uh as I mentioned earlier in our discussion this evening, 
Anton originally, Anton and Diane threw the original uh, Satanic Bible together as a kind of a grab-ass project because one was needed at fairly short notice for Avon books. But even by the time it was done, he was already um, dissatisfied with it because he said, this thing is too disorganized. It's, it's, it's sort of all over the map. I, I go into this subject or that subject without discussing any context for them. And some of it is, is just simply inaccurate historically or, um, you know, or otherwise unsatisfactory. He was his own worst critic. I mean, he wasn't somebody who thought that, you know, his, uh, you know, that, that everything he, he did smelled like roses either. And he, by 1972, uh, he was, he said, first thing I'd like you to do is do a new introduction for it and get away from the old stuffed rats and tombstones one that Burton Wolf did. But he said, this is just preliminary because he says, we really need to sit down with this book and, and redo it from start to finish and make it into a serious sound book that justifies its title and isn't just something that looks spooky when somebody puts it on their altar. Okay, and, right. And that was, that was kind of the, you know, the way he was talking about it. And I, and he and I never got around to it, obviously, because of events that got in the way. But when it got to be approaching the 50th anniversary of it, I was talking with his grandson, Stanton LeVay. Um, and I mentioned that I'd made a lot of notes over the years about stuff that I might have wanted to do with the original Satanic Bible if he, his grandfather and I had ever gotten around to it. Stanton asked to see my notes, so I sent them to him, and he said, Jesus, this stuff is great. He says, write it up. I said, what do you mean write up? He says, write up another Satanic Bible. And I said, I said, well, I don't want to, you know, just sort of redo a classic. He says, well, this is a whole different thing. He says, it is. do this. And I said, well, okay, I'll take a shot at it. And I did. And so that's how this one came about. And Stanton uh, wrote the afterword to it. And, uh, uh, you know, I think it, uh, it it stands on its own feet. And I don't think it insults Anton or the original book at all. No, no I think not it's a good compliment. Not at all. Yeah. Big no. compliment in, indeed. And the fact that you've been able to take it as far as you have, um, I've always liked the psychological aspect of it, which is primarily one of the reasons why I even do a talk show, because I love the psychological aspect of it all, which is why I'm drawn to you so much, Mr. Aquino. <laughs> okay. Well, as I said, I've always been uh, a curious person. I want to figure out what the hell's going on, what the what the universe is, um, you know, who's running it and why. And what we are, you know, what what is this individual thing called Michael Aquino or you or Mike or the other here's right. Um, you you go you you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, okay, what's this? You know, who am I? What am I? And uh, how should I regard myself? How should I guide myself? How should I conduct myself? And these are important questions, I think, and that's the kind of thing that's always driven me and that also redrove this book. I was saying to myself. Let's see what could happen if, the, if 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 Anton and I were going to redo this today, how would it have come out? And that was kind of what I had in my mind when I began to put this thing together. Yeah, that's and pretty. I'm pretty. I'm pretty pleased with it. I th- I'm, I'm I'm comfortable with it. I think it did a good job on itself. And I think that if Anton, as I said, got his copy from Amazon Hell, you know, <laughs> then uh, I think he'd look at it and say, "Fucking a," you know. I think he oh, yeah. did a good job here, Mike. So no doubt, I'm sure he's very proud. If he could only see this. But of course, you did mention the cosmetics of the Satanic Bible in your book there. And that leads me to also bring up an issue that some of the people had 
with uh, your your copy here. They were angry with the font that you chose. Well, uh, which 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 font? You mean I believe the, in the book, yeah. Oh, well, well, for the, 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 the Diabolicon. Yeah. Oh, when, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I'll sort of plead a mea culpa there in a way, but that particular font, which is called, I think it's called Swordsman, and I was looking for. I didn't want a generic Times font for what I considered to be sacred writings. Ah, uh, yes, I hear you. Um, Whereas, you know, if you just do something in plain Times font, then it it looks just like a plain Times font, you know, like. Um, and I was looking for something that would be as legible as possible, but would also have a certain um, medieval dignity to it. And that was the best one that I could find. And I, I know it's not the easiest to read. It does slow you down a little bit. But I think that slowing it down and having to read it at a slower pace is not necessarily a bad thing when you're looking at some of these texts because they shouldn't be raced through either. No. So if it takes a little longer to read them, I can I can deal with that criticism. I'll take my punishment there. (laughs) Yeah, it's not really that big of a deal. I was able to still read it, but I did see one of those Amazon reviews on it, and I thought, well, it's not really that much of a problem for me, but. Apparently yeah. it is. Well, that's why that's why I did it. I did want people to slow down a little bit and not just sort of speed read through it. And I wanted it to be set apart from sort of the the just my own argumentative text in the book. Uh if you have the if you if you blew all the extra money to get the col- full color version of the book which unfortunately because of the color printing cost 75 bucks instead of 18 from Amazon, uh the chapters that have writings in them by um, what you might call supernatural entities. The dragon is completely red at the top, and in ones that it's written by human beings like me, he's green. <laughs> I like that, yes. <laughs> That's the dragon sitting on top of the Baphomet, you know. Yeah, I, yes. I dug that, and of course, you spoke a lot about consciousness, and that's a subject that I, I really enjoy talking a lot about, and that also leads me to ask you if you believe in free will. Well, yes, um, of course. There's uh, again in in Mindstar, there is an extensive discussion on the on the differences between you know, free will and mechanism. Um, you know the fact that that the B.F. Skinnerites would say that you really don't have that much freedom of will because your senses and your experiences all kind of drive you like a computer program to make certain choices and do certain things that you're sort of forced into so that you, you're not as free an agent as you think you are. And a person who um, is a metaphysician on this and believes that your consciousness is in fact a metaphysical thing would take issue with that and say, yes, to some extent I'm driven by my physical you know, desires and demands and things like this, but I also have the, the ability and the the freedom of of um, my creativity to go outside of it, you know, to be apart from it, which is what we're talking about when we talk about uh, the imagination, the creative dimension of one's consciousness. At some point in uh, one of my books, Fine Far, I go into some background into the, the ideas of Rod Serling when he came up with the original Twilight Zone. And he said that there's a fifth dimension and it's imagination. And I said, you know, fucking A, Rod, you got it, you know. Um, <laughs> We are, we are prisoners of the mechanical, the material dimensions and the, you know, that are, that are bounded by, 
uh, length, width, you know, space, depth, and time, which is the change in relationships between physical things. But there, we are also a fifth element apart from this, and that is our individual consciousness, which has a perspective on everything else. And that is why we are metaphysical beings, and that is why we don't die when our bodies croak, because they're four-dimensional, and we happen to be fifth-dimensional in our consciousness. Yes. So, yes, you can be driven by your physical needs. Um, any any person who can you know, say, well, you know, you need to eat, you need to breathe, you need to have some sex, you know, the rest of it. You may even need to have an iPhone. Um, <laughs> you, you may be a prisoner of all these things, but I'm saying, yeah, but that's not the extent of you. you. When you get to the end of the list, there's something else. And that something else is what's the real, real you. You know, that's the thing we're talking about that right. comes from Set or Satan or whatever other name you choose to use it as a as a kefir or as a telos symbol. Because so, that's so the part Aquino, of you that is completely I, unique in the universe. Yes, I Dr. agree. Dr. Aquino, I've got a question for you on that statement that you just made. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did you just say that when you die, you go into another dimension? Is that like, a, a, would that be like a heaven? Is that what you're saying? Well, um Again, I would sort of point people in the direction if they want to get into this in, in terrifying detail to pick up a copy of Mindstar because that's the book in which I spend the most time going into the various universes. But there is a section in the Satanic Bible, the one that I just did, where I sort of summarize that in a kind of a more compact way. And we are, we exist in something called the objective universe. That's the physical thing around us that's governed and formed by natural law and the physical things that are a part of natural law that I was referring to earlier and that is driven by the regularities of it. But we are conscious agents that are not part of that. We are independent of it. We are somewhat mixed into it by the fact that we temporarily use physical bodies to explore our extent when we're finding out who and what we are. You know, you find out what you aren't by bumping into something. Right. But the entire purpose of all this is to realize the part of you that is not a function of this physicality, and that's what the entire corpus of Egyptian initiation was all about, which I go into in sort of horrific detail in Mindstar. And that has to do with the, I mean, the when the Egyptians were talking about what Christianity would crudely call the soul, the Egyptians divided this into very detailed components, uh, eightfold uh, descriptions of emanations of the expression of the individual consciousness. And um, this is, you know, um, this is a fascinating field, but it, it has really to is. do with the fact that, that you are, you are absolutely not a meat machine that just stops and goes clunk at the end. Yes. And I have gone into it. I would also say here, if if anybody here has the first edition of Mindstar, consider picking up the second edition um, because I've added additional chapters and materials to it that specifically go into the phenomenon of physical death and how you should regard that and approach it because most people don't think about it that much, don't know how to approach it or how to regard it, and most people are terrified by it. And they revert, you know, it's, it's the big black sack you know, that awaits us at the end of everything. And oh my God, it's terrifying and frightening, you know. And if if you believe in Christianity, at least maybe you can get to heaven instead, you know. Um, well, I'm sorry that you know there's no get out of jail free card here. The the thing that is the that is the immortal thing has nothing to do with God or Jesus. Those are all parts of the 
um, personifications of what you might call the physical universe or the objective universe, the thing that is immortal is that fifth element. That's a, that's the Setian or satanic element in you. That's the individual thing. And that is outside of it. That's the thing that keeps going. And that actually doesn't participate in universes. It generates them. You create your own realities yes. as a God being. And this is what your entire experience of finding out who you are and finding your grail is all about. You well, become if a God I may, you generate this. This is why I ask this question. It's because of this. If one – all right, it's a long question, so I've got it written down here. If I may just <laughs> – read it okay. to you. Does one need to believe in God if one believes in the devil or Lucifer or vice versa? Uh, you know, if there's a darkness, is there not a light? You know, the Jet, the Jedi Sith thing. Um, if I believe in, a, in the dark powers and practice black magic and believe in Satanism and do rituals in that sense, must I too believe that aside from the malevolent entity that there is, for lack of a better term, uh, isn't there a goodness, an entity of light, if you will? And also, uh, is is it, uh, how do I put this? Uh, it, it, essentially, I'm coming down to this. If you believe in God, or if you believe in the devil, do you have to believe in the opposite power? Well, this is one of the, you know, this is one of those very early questions that we got into in the Church of Satan. You know, are we being the uh, the the standard bearers for the bad guy? And if so, doesn't that mean that the good guy has to exist? And, but and he's bigger and tougher and meaner. So maybe we're playing for the wrong team here. You know, but the what we what we gradually learned, and of course what the Temple of Set certainly understands and has for a very long time now, and and what I go into again in in Mindstar is that the 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 temptation to to describe reality as a sort of a this versus that thing, you know, it's 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 um, uh, because you have this, you have to have an opposition to it, uh, and it's the same kind of thing. We would say no, no, no. You know, the, what we're looking at is a very large functioning objective universe of natural law, which does have, as I said earlier, it has that consciousness behind it that keeps it regular, that keeps it in force, you know, so that it isn't just haphazard chaos from one moment to the next. But there is not a there is not a morality in it into it built into this. It is a machine, it is a mechanism. And the god uh, or gods or Netaru, you know, who have generated this and who keep it in force, their business is keeping this machine functioning and operational. And you are not a um, a part of it, except to the extent that you temporarily use a body to interact with it. But you are the person who brings the entire concept of goodness and badness into this, because you have basically taken under yourself, this is, again, part of that Eden metaphor, you know, the ability to define goodness and badness, good and evil. And each person has to uh, go through this quest themselves and they have to learn what should be good and what should be evil. And then they have to also have a virtuous commitment to the good. But this has nothing to do with that God universe or God's universe that's out there. That's just a machine. That's a backdrop. I agree. And so I the fact that you are a good or bad agent is, is you can't blame it on anybody else. You can't be on this or that team. 
the whole issue between goodness and badness or good and evil is entirely, entirely within your consciousness. And you are the guy in the hot seat, not God or Jesus or the devil or anything else. You. Okay, so I, right. I understand a little bit better now how you're putting it into perspective. Ultimately, I had always had that question in my mind, that if I'm going to be a Satanist, does that mean that I have to believe that there is an opposite entity to that, an opposite power, if you will? And that always that's what perplexed happens when, me. Well, that's what happens when you when you see too many Hollywood movies about you know God and the devil, because then you say, <laughs> well, yeah, the devil is the guy with the horns, you know, who who screwed Rosemary and all this. And uh, you know, the, the God is the guy who turned Lot's wife into a pillar of salt at the end of that movie. So I guess you know, I guess we know where that's coming from. One of the one of the little jokes that I learned the other day is that when they were making the movie The Ten Commandments, and Charlton Heston, of course, had to talk to God in a burning bush. Uh, Cecil B. D. Mill couldn't figure out who they would get to voice God from the burning bush, and uh, Chuck Heston said, "I'll do it." So he, they just lowered his voice and, and did some adjustments to it, and he actually was talking to himself. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Little piece of uh, history there. So if you would like, you can say that Charlton Heston, you know, was both God and the, and, uh, and and human beings in that movie. So, but it is very, all right, you know, so, all of this that we talk about. You know, you can use any cultural metaphor you want, but it all comes down to you as an individual consciousness. And you as an individual are unique. You're not the same as Michael Aquino or anybody else. You're a particularization of a principle of conscious isolation, which is what we refer to when we refer to set. By the way, Michael, I got to quickly ask you here. Uh, By the way, Michael, I wanted to quickly ask you if I could send you my copy of Mindstar. For you to autograph for me there. Sure. Yeah. Um, there's a, I think, uh, um, I think there's a, my PO box is in the front of the thing in the publications page, but, uh, yeah, I've uh, been meaning to ask you that for a long time now. Sure. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Go, oh, go ahead. Now, if he's going to get an autograph, I want one too. <laughs> I'm going to have to send you, I'm going to have to send you this book, uh, the, Satan- the Satanic Bible. I would love to have your autograph in this. I, I'd I, be happy to. i got to finish reading it first. That's why I thought it was a good idea. <laughs> yeah, it's well, funny. If, 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 if I may, I just wanted to bring up my, my other point to that question, which was, you know, um, basically what you've said is, I've, I've always understood that, that you are your own God. You are good and you are evil. That much I get. And basically when it comes down to trying to understand what Satanism is in a modern sense, and that Lucifer is, and Satan, whatever you want to call him, is more of, a, can, can we say he's more part of the, the psychodrama of it all? Yeah, it's a handle. And remember that these were very, th- these terms were originally kind of scarecrow terms that were uh, devised by Judaism and Christianity um, uh, to scare people into obeying El. And uh, you know, if, if um, originally, of course, I, as I kind of kid around here, you know, the the Jewish idea of Satan was that he was actually a, a very loyal angel to God who just sort of pointed out to God or El that he'd sort of overestimated himself when he made humanity and that he basically screwed it up. Uh, so I, I say, well, he was actually worse than a principle of evil. He was an art critic. <laughs> uh, it was It was in the New Testament that he... Stop being an art critic, and he became torturer in chief. You know, well, if you don't obey L, 
And if you don't obey Jesus, you know, then you're going to go to a lake of fire and get toasted, you know, or, or have your fingernails pulled out over and over and over and over and over again, you know. Um, that's, that's kid stuff. That's comic book religion stuff, you know, and it was back millennia ago and it still is today. So when we use terms like Satan or we use terms like set, remember that we're using terms that have a lot of cultural baggage with them. And you first have to kind of redefine them. And one of the things that I sort of did in this Satanic Bible in my Lucifer section was I, there's a chapter called Gods and Devils, which basically says, okay, let's define what we're talking about when we talk about a god or a devil so that we're all using the same kind of term and we aren't, and, and we aren't sort of stumbling over you know, words that mean different things to different people. Well, it, it's definitely, I've learned more to understand that, um, you know, from reading not only the Satanic Bible, but studying uh, a lot about the occult and black magic, uh, that um, it's all within yourself. It, it, you are the God, essentially. And that that's basically what it comes down to. And whatever whatever type of magic you choose to do, whether it's a curse or a blessing of some sort, it's you. It basically comes down to you. And it drives me crazy that there's <laughs> so little common sense in the world and we blow the, everything out of proportion when it comes to religion. It, it's frightening. It Look really at all, is. Like you said, there's a classic. Let me hear. Oh, this classic line you wrote in the book. Let me find it. i got to read it to you. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful quote. Where is it? Um, bear with me. <laughs> you said, oh, uh, crap, where is it? <laughs> Was that the line? Hold on. I, I think okay. great, great. Oh, here it is. In your book on page 153, mm-hmm. uh, one of the most brilliant comments I read was, and I quote, here is a list of not just worldwide genocides, but even the smallest wars or massacres perpetrated by Satanists, Setians throughout history. And then semicolon, and then in, parent, in the brackets, there's nothing there. Because Satanists have never started a war to kill Christians, Jews, Muslims, whatever it may be, who were in opposite, direct opposite opposition of Satanists. Well, We've Mike, uh, anything like that. well, Mike, only government can do that. <laughs> government and and religions it, it it's been going on for 3000 years it's a thing Maybe called it's a thing called intolerance and and if you are if you are personally scared that you're um that you that you're not talking the truth that you're talking lies then one of your responses if somebody calls you on that is to shut them up uh you either muzzle them or you tune them out or you withdraw their um twitter accounts or you burn them at the stake <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, any and all of the above. In other words, if you say something inconvenient, um, then you are history and you are toast. So people who are very vulnerable feel that they have to do that. They have to shut up the people who talk about other stuff. If you're a, if you're a, a Sedian or a, a Satanist in the way that we were, you don't care. I mean, sure, uh, we're perfectly happy to be in the same room and discuss all these ideas openly just as we are tonight. You know, uh, people can ask us anything they want, and we'll give them our two cents worth, and then it's up to you whether you think that it makes sense or whether you think it's bullshit. Um, but we're not going to say, oops, he asked a question that's forbidden, you know, so we have to muzzle him or shut him up or stomp on him. Yes. And no, I think you don't get anywhere that way. I think this is a good segment to sort of shift gears here. 
Dr. Aquino, I did want to hear your thoughts and opinions on the current political spectrum that we have before us. And I have, oh God. I know, right? <laughs> I had predicted way back in 2016 that we would be in some sort of a paradigm shift in society, one that we first saw happen in 1999. And then again, after September 11, 2001, where the key elements of what, well, these basically are the key elements of what we have today, the product that we have today. And it's a real mess. And I've been seeing this shift, this paradigm shift happen so often. And Mike sees it as well. And I'm sure you see it as well, too. It's a very strange time, especially if you offend someone, Dr. Aquino. Well, I, um, one of, one of my, most admired uh, professors in my graduate studies at University of California was a, an Oxford PhD by the name of Raghavan Iyer, one of the most brilliant, brilliant people I have ever been privileged to know. Um, and uh, you can look him up on the internet and read a lot of his writings, and I promise you that in about two or three paragraphs, your eyes are going to glaze over. You know? But in any case, uh, Raghavan was probably the world's greatest genius on on Plato and the way that he looked at human societies and their constructions. And um, I have I have followed a lot of Raghavan's material in books like uh, Fine Far, where I'm discussing the construction of societies along the lines of a sort of an ideal moral polis, polis, P-O-L-I-S, you know, the Greek term for a city-state or a, a political community. But Raghavan, like Plato, kept emphasizing that this this isn't any good unless you have a morality underpinning it. And the construction of a morality requires a, a multitude of factors that have to do with conscientiousness, of sympathy, of, you know, of humanitarianism, of uh, benevolence, of intelligence. Uh, you know, you, you just don't fall off a truck with this stuff. You have to work at creating a model society that's going to stand on its own feet. And there have been a couple of societies that have been very close to this, one of which, uh, just coincidentally, happens to be that of ancient Egypt, which had a very, very benevolent internal construction uh, for its... Uh, it, was, it, was, it existed in stability for about 5,000 years before it you know, suffered uh, incursions elsewhere. And the ancient uh, civilization of Crete was much the same. There hasn't been much in the world since then that has approached those two civilizations in terms of being actually moral communities that could stand up for themselves because all too often lesser, um, you know, lesser things and drives have underpinned societies. So merely coming up with a social structure like, like say democracy or republicanism or communism or socialism, that isn't going to get you anywhere. You have to have an underlying morality that makes it virtuous what Plato referred to by the term the agathon, the principle of goodness or virtue, and that the construction of such a state involves the principle of what he called kalokagathia, which is the most practical construction of a polis or a state to make it decent and good. So when I wrote the book Mind War in 2012, I was looking out at a world which was embroiled in violence and runaway war worldwide, which it still is. And I was saying to myself, well, I'm so fucking smart. Uh, can I come up with a way to at least reduce this 
and maybe come up with a way that human beings could actually get along with each other without, you know, having to blow each other up and kill each other all the time. Yes. And that's why I wrote that book, Mind War, which has to do with identifying and removing a lot of the at least physical universe irritants uh, that that compel people to behave like spoiled children and uh, and and thugs. Yeah, I agree. And with it's you. A, it's supplementary book called Fine Far. Has, goes into Raghavan's construction of the ideal and moral polis. So I'd say that those two books uh, will... I, I, I mean, I'm not trying to evade your question. I'm trying to say that the, the solution to the problem that you identify is a complex one, but it's not, it's not because it, it can't be understood. It's that a, an ideology by itself doesn't suffice. If somebody comes in like Bernie Sanders and says, democratic socialism is the cure to everything. No, it isn't. You have to have an underlying morality, and then it doesn't matter what mechanism you put on top of it, whether it's a a state-centered system or a socialist system. But if you've got an underlying morality and you've got a culture that's basically driven by an agreement on virtue, then that's going to be the driving force that kind of brings everything around to getting you where you want to go. But it isn't easy. And I wrote those books, and if everybody, you know, uh, believed in them and put them into actuality right now, nobody would be happier than me, and it would be a much nicer world, but I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> that didn't mean, that was no excuse for me not to write them and put my two cents where my mouth was, so to speak, and say, you want my solution? Here's my solution. It can be done. We just have to do it. You know, but it, it, it can be done. This isn't, you know, this isn't um, barking at the moon stuff here. Understood, and... That reminds me, we definitely do see a conflict brewing between us and China and Russia, and our military seems to sort of be fearful of our dwindling numbers and military personnel. They believe we would not stand a chance to lessen. Well, you sense. don't, you know, I go into this a lot in, in mind war in particular, and you don't win wars. Nobody wins wars. The very first thing in the, in when you open up the front cover of Mind War, which you can do by looking at the, uh, look inside feature on its Amazon page, you don't even have to buy the book, you'll find a five-star general, Eisenhower, uh, who starts out with his statement in which he says, wars suck. They do. Uh, the only you war. You don't win anything with a war. The only war winning is the one in your head. But you have but to get I'm, that, you have to get that moral, that moral virtue up front. And then once you have that there, everything is going to fall into place. You know, it may be a little complicated, but that's the, that's the important thing. And just saying that, well, you know, the United States needs more bombs and more bullets to take on China with more bombs and more bullets or hydrogen bombs or the rest of it. That's, you know, that, that doesn't get us anywhere. That's, that's true. Really, really yeah. true. The, you have to get that moral, you have to get that moral principle. And you can find it in a Russian or a Chinese the same way as you can find it in a in one of us, you know, over here. Yes, and Mike, go ahead. You wanted to add on to that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But what I was trying to say, uh, your comment about uh, you know Americans or military Americans being uh, fearful about uh, if there were a war against China or Russia. The one thing that I think stands strong about this country is that. Um, the Second Amendment has given, you know, the right for citizens such as myself to own firearms. Um, and it's I think it's one of the key factors of why this country 
has never been invaded and never will, in my personal opinion, is because we may not have a huge military. Uh, we do have the smarts for uh, military uh, mechanisms and machinery. But aside from that, a lot of Americans own guns. And I really think that if it came down to it, um, not only would an enemy fight our military trying to invade this country, but they'd also have to fight the citizens who own guns. Yeah, but look at it this way, too. You know, when I was I set out to, on a military career and the part of the army that I joined specifically and that I focused my whole career on was PSYOP, uh, psychological operations. And I got interested in that because basically Fort Bragg was saying this is an area in which we study how to win battles and wars without killing anybody or blowing them up. Um, we talk them, you know, we change their minds we uh, represent, we recontextualize stuff, and, and we don't have to kill anybody, and we don't have to shoot anybody. And it's a, I, I say in my Mind War book that the minute that somebody pulls a trigger, you failed as a mind warrior. Because the whole point of this is to, is to get people, you know, right now we, when you talk about using guns to shoot at other people, you're, you're basically kind of creating a context whereby the problem is the other person. You know, with or without a gun. And the way to solve the problem is to shoot that person or blow him up with the gun. And what I'm saying in Mind War is that the whole point of Mind War is you do not define anybody else as the problem. You define the problem and the issue and the disagreements and the, and the um, inconsistencies and the irritants. That's the problem. Then you take all the people who are involved who might, you might, conventional people might call them enemies, you know. I don't, I, I, you take all the people and you put them together and the enemy is the problem, not the other people. And you all get together and you figure that out and you use these tools that I put together in, in, you know, Mind War as ways to do that. And, uh, you know, I go through a lot of them. They're called, uh, psychological control procedures, you know, that have to do with removing all these we live in this soup of of natural law irritants that 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 um, make us that incline us to irrationality and to fear and to hatreds and things. A lot of that stuff can be removed and reduced. So I'm saying start out by cleaning up the mess that we're all living in, that we the soup that we exist in every day, and then start using our brains that we're supposedly such a smart species to yeah. attack the problem. And the problem is the enemy, not other people. You know. You sit down in a, I, a room with somebody who's an Arab. He's not the enemy. He's another I, human I, being. I agree with you, Doctor Aquino. I yeah. do. And everything you said. Look, I, I, let me let me be very straight here with you. I'm not. I, I'm not into war. I'm not. However, however, as it as it says in the Satanic Bible, might is right. Um, I am not going to be that victim. Being the person that I am and the things that I believe in, I have always been subject to criticism and uh, looked down upon because I think a different way. And I've, I've, I was always the kid in school who got beat up. I was always this, the person who, who got looked down upon and talked down to. So all I'm saying is that, yeah, your, your, your theory and, and, uh, way of thinking about, uh, how to deal with an enemy psychologically that's great i i completely commend that at the same time i feel it's important to be prepared because in my personal opinion i've seen what's been going on in this world 
as you said before. Well, we live, in a, we live in an imperfect world. I'm not saying, true. you know, that you can walk into a mess of a situation that we're in. I mean, the whole point of the Mind War book was to say the world's in a mess. It's a, it's a large fist fight. You know, it's a giant, you know, bloodthirsty fight that's going on. And no, you can't walk into this with just carrying flowers and expect to get anywhere. You'll get taken out in a hurry. You know, I spent, you know, a long, lot of time in Southeast Asia and the special forces. You think I walked around, you know, without carrying a fully loaded M16 and a 45 at all times? Right, right. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I was, I, I was in so many firefights, I can't even see straight, you know, and if I hadn't been, I wouldn't be here today. I mean, you have to, you, you, you deal with the situation that you're in. That doesn't mean that you have to like it or say that this is the, that we were sort of doomed to this, you know, for the rest of our future history. Cause I came back from that experience and I said, fuck this. You know, right. we're supposed to be better than this. There's got to be a better way to deal with this. And I think that I can take the the art and science of PSYOP and I can develop into this thing that ultimately became my war. And I can at least lay the groundwork for getting beyond this. And it doesn't mean that everything is going to be hunky-dory from day one. You know, I have what I referred to in Fine Far as the starfish principle. The starfish principle means that if you're walking down a beach... Uh, all by yourself, and you see a beached starfish on the sand who's going to die if he's there, and you pick that starfish up and you put him back in the surf and he lives, then maybe you haven't, maybe the whole world isn't going to notice a whole lot about that, but you've made a difference to that starfish. Absolutely. Great and point. that's my yeah, starfish I do that every principle. Day. So I'm saying if you, if you, yeah, if you do, if you pay attention to Mind War and you start trying to push it and, and actualize it, and maybe it doesn't stop all the deaths, but maybe it stops one or two. Then it's worth it. If one yeah. person, if one person is alive and healthy instead of being miserable and blown up and a, a paraplegic or something because of that book, then all the work that I put into it was justified. But I would much rather that it actually, you know, have a wider impact than that. But that's just, you know, all I can do is write this stuff down and think it and argue it. I can't force people to pay attention to it, which doesn't mean I don't do a lot of, you know, pestering people about it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And I, I do want to go ahead, Mike. Sorry. I, I'm sorry. I, I just had to say, you see, this is why I love Dr. Aquino, because he comes from a background where he served our country. And I mean, he was in it like you were in Vietnam. I mean, you, you saw firefights and, and you were in it, man. Yeah, He you was know? in the pocket, no doubt. Exactly. And then he comes out of it knowing that war is a horrible, horrible thing. And at the same time, gets involved with a, a, a group of people and creates, is part of the creation of a, a cult-like, um, uh, religion that has, is now what, what are we, 52 years old now, right? Something and like that, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're 52 years old. It's the satanic age. Yes. Uh, I know because I was born in 66. And, um, this is, you, you know, this is it. You, your mother you wasn't, really... your, your mother wasn't named Rosemary, was it? No. <laughs> <laughs> she thought you could be well. the star of the show here. That's right. <laughs> but this is why I love you because you, you've, you're, you're not stupid. You're, you're an intelligent man. You, you've, you've worked in, in fields of intelligence and intellectual, uh, circumstances and things that I, I couldn't even imagine because I'm just not in that, I'm not in that category like you are. But you, you, you know, you're, it's common sense. And that's, 
pretty much how I could sum the whole the whole statement up. What I'm trying to say, it's common sense. You know, that is that's it. Right I mean, you, you you as I said, you it, it has to do with your personal commitment to morality and your personal honesty. And once you have a commitment to those things, everything kind of falls into place in whatever context you choose it to be. Whether you're a musician, you know, like my friend Paul Kantner, we used to talk about this stuff all the time when he was you know writing his songs and stuff for the airplane and the starship or if you're an artist or a an actor uh anything that you choose to be um it's going to come through you know in in this essential decency and integrity and honesty and once you're that it doesn't matter what label you give yourself really because the the label follows after the thing that is you it doesn't it isn't something that you plug yourself into right but the problem is not everyone thinks this way well that's our job is to kick a little butt that's true and a lot of what you were describing right now reminds me of what i talk about in terms of following your cosmic true will it seems like those individuals were definitely in that in that zone and everything sort of seems to align in the universe and everything seems to be right when that happens it's it's incredible you if you um if you if you have a sense of the good, as Plato described at the Agathon, you know, the, 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 the cosmic good, the personal good, then um, things feel right when you pursue this. Exactly. You, you don't feel as though you are betraying yourself or betraying other people or betraying the fact that you're alive or anything else like that. I have written, what, 16, 17 books, and I look at them and I say, okay, this is my best shot at trying to make sense and share what I've learned with other people. And that's kind of the way I look at it. You, you've only got so much time here, like William Penn said in his famous quote that I included, I think, in Mind War. He said, I'm only going to be here once, so if there's any good that I can do, let me do it now because I may not be back here. So if you've got some time and a good thought, you know, then you, you do the best you can with it. You, um, you, you know, as, as we sometimes used to say in the army, you run it up the flagpole and, and hope that people salute it, you know. Yeah. Leave no stone unturned. And Mr. Well, not Mr. Dr. Aquino, I do want to thank you tremendously for being a part of the program. I definitely don't want to take up too much of your time. However, Mike, <laughs> I, I know could, you... I could talk to you all day, doctor. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> this is why I have to definitely cut it off right now because of the time mm-hmm. and the fact that I could talk to you for another two hours, but I definitely don't want to hold you up. But I know Mike definitely has another question for you. Mike, go ahead. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try to find the one that I want to just end off on because there are, there are a couple others, but I'm going to just find the most important one. What I wanted to ask you, doctor, was, would it be safe to say that your revised version of the Satanic Bible isn't a revised version at all, but an additional textbook of information to help a practicing Satanist to better understand the roots and foundations of where Lucifer comes from in a religious history? Because... It's not as though there are any, there's, well, there's no rituals or ceremonies within this version of the Satanic Bible. Um, it, it, you know, there's no spells or list, list of guidelines on how to survive. Where is this? Nor should there be. And there's, there's a lot of discussion about the concept of ritual and ritual magic and things. But you'll notice if you look at the title carefully, it said, uh, this is a 50th anniversary revision, and the V is capitalized. So it's not revision with a small b, 
with a small v rather, it's revision, a revision. This is a new vision, uh, a revi, a re-looking at, you know, this whole concept of what in our culture in the West here is called Satanism. And I, I capitalized that V on purpose, you know, for that reason. This is a fresh look at some of the things that the original Satanic Bible introduced, but it's just that. It's a fresh look. This is another perspective, a fresh look at it from the, with the added experience of 50 years of having, uh, you know, been around the block with all this and with everything else that's been involved with it. And uh, it's it's here again as a... Um, you know, when Ant- I, I used to kid Anton when he came out with the original one, I said, you know, you could have put out a, a, an empty book here uh, that just has the cover on it that says Satanic Bible that people could put on their altars, and that would have been enough to scare everybody. Yeah. Oh, there's a book. It's called the Satanic Bible. How can there be a book called the Satanic Bible? <laughs> Bibles are good. There's a, you know, there's a Holy Bible. There's a Judeo Bible. You know, there's the Old Testament, and then there's the New Testament. And the Book of Mormon, these are all good Bibles. There can't be a satanic, satanic, oh my God, a satanic Bible. <laughs> and I said, so all you really need to do is the cover with the title on it, you know. And he laughed and he said, darn right, you know. And uh, and also this thing is is just, if you look at the way Satan wrote his foreword to this, he says, what is a Bible? What should be a Bible? Is it a book that's supposed to threaten people or to deceive them or to kind of, coerce them or suck them into uh, uh, behaving or believing or sending money or something? You know, no. This is a key. It comes back to that whole business of the Holy Grail quest. You know, this is a key to your Holy Grail quest. That's all. Well, I absolutely think it is. It's a fantastic book. Uh, I, I love the way you you wrote the beginning, uh, the, the Diabolicon with uh, the books of Satan and, and, uh, the book of Asm, uh, Asmodeus and, uh, who else? Uh, Abaddon, um, I don't know if I'm saying the name right. Uh, mm-hmm. uh Bel- Beelzebub. There's uh, a lot in there, yeah. Sure. Uh, all, all the beginning. It's crazy. It was, just, it, it was so, uh, I, I enjoyed it so much because it was just, it's, it's, it was biblical. It was biblical, you know? Well, so did Anton. You know, yeah. his letter about it is, is in there in which he, discussed it when I originally sent it to him. And I wrote that whole thing in Southeast Asia. You know, when I was, as I said, the, the, I think it's the Beelzebub, I think it is, got uh, rewritten because the first edition got blown up in a, in a North Vietnamese rocket <laughs> That's attack. That's right. You know? I read, so I, I read guess Beelzebub didn't I like the first time around. I, you know? I know. What a wild yeah. time it was indeed. And Dr. Aquino, I definitely will have to try to invite you back again on the program so we could pick up right where, we, where we left off. <laughs> Myself okay. and my kitty is here. We both had a great time. Uh, I, I had a wonderful time. It's it's always amazing and entertaining and very informative to have you on the program. Every time you're here, it's it's always a learning experience. And again, I have to say, you are by far the most intelligent guest I've ever brought onto this program. Well, thank you. And I would say that the easiest way to people who have, you know, listening to this and are wondering how, you know, where should I go to find out about any of this? The simplest thing to do is to go on Amazon and, and look for the, the author page, uh, Michael Aquino. And then you're, you'll find all of my books that they're all currently in print, 17 of them, I think. And you can click on their individual pages and then you can look inside them using their Look inside features and you can read a bit of them and see what's in there. And then you could decide what areas you might be more interested in. That's the easiest way to kind of 
um, look into me, so to speak, um, for somebody who's unfamiliar with this. Just go to Amazon, find my author's page, look at the various books, and then uh, go to their pages and look at the previews of them. And uh, that'll give you a rough idea, because what I've tried to do in these is to collectively take all the lessons and experiences that I've learned in my in my time here and share them with everybody else. And that's that's kind of it. Amazing. It's awesome. Yeah, once again, thank you so much, Dr. Aquino. We'll definitely touch base with you again in the very near future. I thank you very much. I think it's been a lovely evening, and I appreciate the questions and the dialogue. And I, I've learned uh, certainly as much as I've uh, hoped that I've shared. So what, what else do you want? Dr. Aquino. <laughs> Dr. Aquino, if I may just say, uh, as always, it's an absolute honor and a pleasure to uh, speak with you at, at when Michael gives me the opportunity to co-host this show with him. Um, you are of major influence to me, and uh, I just want to say thank you so very much, and I hope that your health uh, stays good. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, and also, if you, if you would, uh, please uh, drop me an email and let me know where uh, people can uh, watch or listen to this interview, too. On the oh, yes. I will definitely send you a link Absolutely. as soon as it's over. And we're okay. we are actually live streaming right now on YouTube. So go ahead, Dr. Aquino, and say hello to everyone in the chat room. Well, hello to everyone in the chat room. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. Once again, thank you so much for being a part of the program. We'll speak thank again, you. and mahalo. Okay. Thank you right. so much. Good night. Good night. Good night. And there he goes, everybody, Dr. Michael Aquino, a great host, a great host, a great guest, and Mike Hideous, a a great co-host here, is what I meant to say, fumbled my words there. And yeah, Mike, did you enjoy that? Oh, you know I, I always enjoy, not only do I enjoy coming on your show... But having the opportunity, you're allowing. Well, me to I would, I would hope you, I would hope that you enjoy coming. Oh well, I, I love your, I love your show. Number one. But well, it, I meant it, in the second term of. Oh, stop! <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, you're you're thinking of me when you get him on the show. Uh, That's true, Doctor Queen of it is. It's it's an honor, honestly. It really is an honor for me to to talk to this man because. I respect him so much for what he's done. Him and Dr. Anton LaVey have both influenced my life. It's very, um, it's very intimidating, especially since a lot of the things I talk about, they're not influenced by any outside force. All the things I speak about, the whole following your cosmic true will and how all these things come together. Um, discovering Dr. Aquino and the Temple of Set and some of their philosophical values they align so much with what I truly believe in. And that's incredibly intimidating for someone like myself, someone who sees things from the complete outside perspective, outside the box. And Mike, sorry, go ahead. I just needed to get that out there. Well, yeah, like you just said, it, 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 it falls in your, um, your realm of belief. And again, it's all about common sense. Right. I can't, I can't elaborate that more. It's so, it just makes sense when you read it. You you say to yourself, "Oh, gee, you know, why didn't I think of that before?" It's because we're we're fed this this fodder of uh, nonsense by both religion, politics, and society. And uh, you know, when you read a satanic Bible, it tells you stop blaming others. 
for your own actions. What, you know, don't say the devil made you do it. You did it. You Whatever did, yes. you do, whether it's good or bad, you are in control. Agreed. And another thing I have to add, uh, add here is the fact that this whole my team versus your team, my God versus your God, you know, none of that really matters in the end. No, it doesn't. Not one bit. Not at all, that, man. That's why I was asking him about life, like, a, you know, the question about life after death. When you die, do you do you go to a heaven? And, uh, you know, because in the book. Wasn't that crazy that when you asked him that? <laughs> I was like, holy yeah, well, shit. In the book, there are some references. There are a lot of references to God. Um, uh, where I, I have so many notes here that I wrote that I've been writing down about this. Oh, uh, uh, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this, this right. Meslia. M-A-S-L-E-H. Meslia. That, that, from what I understand, was the name given to the Messiah before he came down and became Jesus Christ. So, yeah, there's so. all this talk of the religion and, and the, the history of it. it. It's sort of like a story and he elaborates on how it came about. And, um, you know, then it just gets into the details of, uh, objective universe and subjective universe and fourth and fifth dimensions. And it's really deep. It's really deep. And I'll tell you, it's not an easy read. You really got to, You've got to study it. And, and I, as I said, I've been writing notes. I must have written about 15 pages of notes already. And, uh, it's fabulous. I, I, I can't wait to finish it. It's a really good book and I've been reading it here on and off. I didn't get a chance to read all of it, but again, a, a lot of the context in it just resonates with me entirely. And again, that's a little weird. <laughs> oh, what's weird about it? it? It falls into place with your life, no? It, it actually does, and that that's the scary part because I'm someone who values the fact that I am an individual and I have no affiliation with any group. I've never let anyone out there from the outside have an influence on the inside, and that's something I take great pride in. So going and reading his book and seeing that a lot of that same type of philosophical perspective and seeing that and then going back to some of the my own principles I go by, that shit's kind of weird. Well, that being said, what is your belief in uh, or, or shall I say, what are your thoughts on religion? Were, weren't you born and raised Roman Catholic? No, not at all. Uh, OK, I wasn't I was mistaken. It's OK. Well, my dad, he's not someone who is religious whatsoever. It was my mother who was the one who was very religious for a short time there, and she was a Jehovah's Witness. Ah. That was never really pressed on me, however. I was, luck I was lucky to have my dad, who is open-minded. He never wanted me to get sucked into that. And You're I, lucky. I thank him for that, yeah. He's always been someone who's been completely open-minded in terms of religion and uh, extraterrestrials, you name it. He's pretty open-minded. And he's a straight shooter. He's not a drug addict. He's not an alcoholic. He doesn't abuse anything of that nature. And it's very rare for someone like that, a straight well, shooter. You, well, you know, it, you're lucky in that sense um, because from my childhood, uh, I was born and raised into a Roman Catholic family. And my family doesn't know anything. But my mother's my mother died in 2011. Right, right. But. Um, you know, m m my family, my brothers and my father, 
they don't they don't know that I'm I'm a Satanist. Yeah, they, they don't know they, that, right? They don't know that. Hopefully, they won't listen to this this YouTube uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hope they're not listening now, but I, I doubt it. Um, but you know, I I was born and raised into the Roman Catholic family, and by age thirteen, I began to question my faith, and I you know. I, I was going to Catholic school for the first two years, freshman and sophomore year, and I constantly questioned religion. By the time I hit, uh, and mind you, I used to have to go to church when I was a boy up until the age of 13. I received my communion. I, I can't even imagine that, Mike, by the yeah. way. <laughs> That's why I'm so fucked up, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say you're fucked up, but I would say you are definitely self-aware. Now I am, yeah. But, but you know, you're alive when now. I was a, Say again? I said, now you're alive. Now I'm alive. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, you know, for my childhood up into my mid-20s, I still had a, a huge problem wondering where, who I was and what it was all about. Uh, by the way, Mike, I, I believe a star had a question for you, and I would think it's pretty appropriate now that we definitely have to hit a break. Go ahead, star. Oh, if you have to hit a break, I'll wait. Oh, well, no. Go, go ahead and get your question out. Hello, Star. Hi, Mike. had so many questions. Um, yes, I totally understand. Uh, everyone is responsible for what they create in their life. And what I was wanted to get to earlier in the show was Plato and uh, the allegory of the cave, which okay. is... The, the puppets and what was presented for the the people who are kind of zoned into the puppetry and how that relates to uh, today. Um, not sure I understand what you're. Are you, you're asking me the question of how? Uh, I'm I'm sorry. I really don't understand that question. Can you repeat that? Hey, have you read the allegory of the cave by Plato? I have not. However, it's interesting you mentioned that because it is mentioned within uh, Michael Aquino's book, and I did plan on researching it. No, I haven't read it. Okay, I will wait till you research it, but it pretty much says that the allegory of the cave is what the people in this cave see the puppets doing, and everything is okay. It's It's kind of like the Matrix almost. And okay. everything is okay, everything is all right. There's the fake media that reassures and says everything that this person says is wrong, but just keep going on with your your um, routine and all is well. And that is just read Allegory of the Cave, and the next time you're on with Mike, I'll call back. Okay. All right, thanks for the call, Star. <laughs> Thank now, Mike, I do want to thank you for being a part of the program as well. You could hang on and hang out with me the second half if you'd like. I'm just sure. going to wrap up the program here, but, of course, I'm going to hit a break. And okay. I would recommend that you go on a little break yourself. We we definitely I'm need gonna, a little rest. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'll meet you back here in, what, five minutes? No, about five, six minutes. Six minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> six, seven minutes. We'll see what happens. Okay, I'll meet you back here, buddy. All right, Mike. Give you a call right now. All right. And, of course, that was Mike Hideous here. He, of course, is taking on the duty 
of being the special co-host. And when I return, part two of the program, remember, the only war worth winning is the one inside your head. Boys and girls, stay tuned. Lee in Washington, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Alex Jones. I've been waiting a long time to talk to you. Anyways, I just wanted to say, um, I remember back in the day, uh, Y2K, the Bill Cooper incident, and you smoking to Luis Major Rogan. Now you lost your kids, and I'm so happy about that, dude. If I ever seen you in real life, I would smack the shit out of you. I would delay that because we can't have cussing. I've never taken DMT. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. So glad all of you are still out there. Let me unmute Mike here. Mike, are you alive? Yes, I am. Perfect. I'm glad you're still here. I'm alive and kicking. Yes, I am, sir. Great, great, great. I'm glad you could hang out with me here on the second half of the program. It's always fun uh doing the second half of the program. That's kind of when we let our, our uh, hair down, per se, and really get into things here. Sort of review what, what we just did, sort of. Yeah, that too. That too. That's always fun to do. And for those new in attendance and never heard of me before, my name is Michael, and I'm the host and producer of this incredible program, and I'm not a right-wing wacko or a convicted felon, as they say. <laughs> Just a man with a beer. <laughs> I, I, on the other hand, <laughs> am oh. a right-wing nutcase. You're a right-wing wacko. <laughs> Criminal. <laughs> You're a Nazi. <laughs> you know, I, I found a, I found a photograph of when I was a boy, probably age, I'm going to say age seven or eight. Yes. And I was dressed up on Halloween as an Indian. Is that racist? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. <laughs> well, not in my Check book. it. Yeah, not for me. <laughs> I just wanted to know if I triggered anybody. <laughs> Uh, nah, I doubt it. No, no uh, one, uh, no one here on the program is that sensitive. And if they are, they <laughs> should have probably booked it by now. <laughs> I was going to post the picture on my Facebook page, but I didn't want to trigger anybody and get them upset because I dressed up as an Indian when I was eight. Uh, no, I think it's all good, man. <laughs> by the way, someone is calling in. Do you want to take their call, Mike? Let's see what this person's got to say. Sure. Got quite a bit of uh, calls here. Let's see what uh, this one has to say. Caller, you are live on the air. What's going on? Uh, hello. Howdy. Hello. Hello. This is uh, this is Rabbi Shekelwitz. I'm calling to inform you. You have committed an offense. Which one was that? There will be no white men in Indian outfits this Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> no. <Nah>. Hey guys. <laughs> How's it going? This is uh, Jack from Pennsylvania. I I, uh, I called a week or two ago. Oh, that's amazing! I'm so glad you returned, my friend. Hey, I'm, I'm in glad Pennsylvania to be back. Yeah, oh, you are. Yeah, Mike's in Pennsylvania too. Uh, secret location, or uh, I'm in about Central PA. I am in uh, Northeastern PA. I'm about 30 minutes from Scranton. Oh, that's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah, that's not too far. <laughs> not too yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. I moved down here in 2014. I love it. I absolutely love it. Where'd you come from? I was born and raised in New Jersey. Originally, I was born and raised in Patterson, uh, which is a war zone now, but, um, I moved I around <laughs> a bit through, it, it's terrible. Uh, but I moved around a bit when I was, you know, from my twenties, uh, I should say from my late teens 
into my 30s. And then I finally, I just couldn't take it anymore. Uh, and after the last place I lived, which was in Kearney, New Jersey, about uh, 10 minutes from the Holland Tunnel, I just had to get out. And uh, I moved out to uh, moved out to a town called Lake Ariel. And um, I love it out here. I got wildlife and trees, and it's beautiful. That's great stuff, yeah. When all, uh, all the nice natural area hasn't been destroyed yet. Seriously, that right? kind of area? Not where I live. I, I live in a, a, a gated community where um, uh, it's about three, I think it's about, I want to say two or 3,000 acres. Um, it's really big. It's got a lot of people that live here, wow. but you wouldn't know it. Um, I live on a street where I'd be lucky if we get 20 cars a day that drive down it. Very lucky. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And where are you from? You're playing red. Uh, I was uh, born in uh, Virginia, but uh, I'm, my uh, parents, we moved to uh, Central PA when I was just two. So pretty much Central PA whole life. Okay. What's your question, man? What was your name? Uh, Jack from uh, Central PA. Yeah, that was Jack. PA. Jack. The what PA. was your yeah. question, Jack? Oh, uh, well, I just wanted to comment, man. Last time I called in, I get off the phone, and I think it was Star who called and was talking about Red Dead Redemption, and I just had to laugh <laughs> because I straight up, I had, I was, I had it paused on my TV. Oh no shit! <laughs> and I just paused it. To, I paused it to call in, but that's what I'm doing in my free time. That's awesome. Yeah, I still need to pick up my copy of Red Dead Redemption. Uh, amazing game. You know, I'm really disappointed about Fallout, to be honest with you. Lots of people Me very too. angry Me saying it, it's not, it's garbage. And now I'm it's like, the, now I'm troubled. It's like a I lazy, uh, lazy release. It, I would definitely go for Red Dead. Yeah, I think that I might just wait a while and then buy it. But yeah, Red Dead seems yeah, to be. Yeah, if you have some friends to play it with. Yeah. I'm with you yeah, on that one, man. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, uh, speaking of the cave, yeah, the, the allegory of the cave. Yeah, it's about a man. When about I perception was, of society, correct? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. When I was a senior in high school, that's when I read it. I had this amazing teacher. This amazing, you know, it was uh, it wasn't called political science, but it was like world government slash political science class. Word. And he introduced it to us, and he was so great. He introduced all this political stuff to us taught us about critical thinking, taught us about evaluating sources. He was all about, you know, teaching us about the lies that got us into the Iraq war. This was like such a great teacher. And that's where I read the cave, which was about, you know, the, uh, the, the puppet masters manipulating the shadows on the wall. And that's all the people can see are the shadows. But if they could just turn around and go look at what the manipulators were doing, they could see it for real. Well, Years go by, I haven't uh, spoken to this teacher in uh, many years, and man, when I see him now, it's so sad to see him now on social media, it it seems like he's been completely brainwashed. Uh Uh, He's all, you know, he's he's falling for all these hoaxes uh, and uh, and going for the political agendas behind them, he's... You know, he's, he's, he's saying, I believe all the Kavanaugh accusers. Oh, all of them. no. <laughs> no. Because uh, uh, yeah, women, because women don't lie. That's what we learn. Yeah. Women don't lie. Yes. Yeah, because <laughs> wha- women never lie. And you know, like in oh, class, boy. we would, we, we would even talk about, 
you know, back in the day, uh, a white woman could point at a black man and get him locked up. Right. It seems like all the liberals forgot about that. Oh, they, all, they only forget what they used to talk about that. They forget, they, they forget things like that. That's very true. And very much like human perception and reality, a lot of these individuals will not take responsibility for their own actions. Yeah, you yeah, see, Jack, we are living in a time of uh, enforced feminism. Um, yes, and it, it it's coupled with radical liberal liberalism and political correctness, and it is going to be the death of this country because it's like we've got everything to prove about things when um, this all goes back to sort of what we were just talking about: common sense. You you can't live a life and think the way of feminism or liberalism that it's going to be just perfect and dandy it's just not there each situation is separate it's it's a, a situation upon its own it has to be figured out upon its own just because we have liberalism and political correctness and feminism that doesn't mean that the world's going to be you know a perfect place if we just go by those rules because it's not it, yeah, feminism it, it, is not it, a good thing in this in this radical feminism. Let me be let me be straight here. Radical step feminism as well as radical liberalism is not a good idea. Yes, they call it this this intersectional feminism. The radical liberalism and with the radical feminism they call it intersectional feminism which means, you know, we we we're not just uh you know, we're not just uh, all about the women thing. Oh man, hilarious story. Uh, uh, I come, I'm, I'm just walking downtown and I come upon this women's protest, which is to get, uh, people to sign up for this march called A Mile in Her Shoes. Have you heard of this? No. A Mile in Her Shoes. It's where they get all these men, all these big, bulky football players and everybody to do a one mile walk. In pink high heels and stuff. Oh, for Christ's sake! And it's supposed to say, if 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 you could walk a mile in her shoes, if you knew how it felt to get cat called every day. Oh boy, yes. Right. So the world is over now. (laughs) Yes. So I come up upon this thing, and I'm I'm just it's a these women are in a very small area holding their signs, but when I come upon it, they're holding signs that say one in five women will be raped, and I walk about ten feet. And I get to another woman, and she's holding a sign, and it says one in four women will be raped. Yeah, that's so we you know it, it went up five percent over ten feet. And, and I asked her, I'm like, "Yo, that woman says one in five, and your sign says one in four. How can you explain this?" You know, sometimes <laughs> and, sometimes people just don't they don't um, they don't do their homework. Um, look, I got I got nothing. I got nothing against uh people wanting to make a difference. Obviously rape is a terrible terrible thing uh and I certainly don't condone it. But at the same time um there are things that I, I look I know I'm not a bad person. I would never do something like that to a per, to a person um but at the same time I I it's hard for me to take information from somebody to tell me that well you know you need to do this in order to stop rape uh, how are we going to do that it's like stopping criminal in crime yeah, or, or, or uh, war it's 
Yeah, what, what they're really doing is just saying, you know, is, is they want to evoke the horrible emotion of it to get you to just listen and believe, which of course means, it doesn't just mean when, when a woman says she was raped, believe her. It means that when she points at a particular person and says, and he's the rapist, you have to believe that. That's a huge problem. Right. And, uh, you know, I have a, I have some things to, to ask you. I'm sure you've been paying attention to the news as well as you have, Mike, uh, yes. that Michael Avenatti, uh, Avenatti rather, he, he's uh, back yeah. in the media again. Did you see that? That was, uh, I heard he uh, got arrested. What happened? He got arrested for, I think, Dom- domestic, domestic abuse. Vi- domestic abuse or domestic oh, violence. That, isn't rather. that ironic? <laughs> it is. He allegedly <laughs> struck his wife and, you know, I'm not quite sure who to believe yet. I believe everyone does Another deserve, liberal on the Me Too list. I believe everyone deserves a fair trial, and right. we will find out all the truth eventually, but apparently some sort of argument must well, have ensued, and she probably struck Michael first, that's what he's claiming, and then he defended himself. Yeah. And yeah. again, I'm not sure how many of you out there have actually gone uh, through something like this with a woman where you actually yep. upset her to yep. a point where she gets yep. violent and you are left... Primarily yep. with, uh, one or two choices. One, either you try to evasively maneuver away from the strikes. Yes, protect yourself. Generally getting out of that situation. Or two, you risk the chance of becoming just so angry by being struck even after you try to get away. And that's when people get hurt. I don't recommend that's anyone right. going with option two. And, and and that's when suddenly women say, well, he hit me because he overpowered me. And yet you see Hollywood all the time where there's the, the heroine in the film who's got the M16 and takes down an entire army all by herself while all the Green Berets behind her are running away scared because they're men. Right. And caller, do you agree with yeah. that? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I, I've only ever, you know, been slapped a little, but you don't even have to be hit by a woman. She can just make it up. Yeah. That's like right. happened to a friend of mine, a, a friend of mine. I, I see him, you know, after a while and he tells me, he, you know, man, he just spent a week in jail. And I'm, and I'm like, what happened? And, uh, he's telling this story where him and his, some new girl he met, they, you know, she's trouble. She's trouble. They were walking. Yeah, she's they trouble. usually are. They were walking. Yeah, yeah, they were walking through a park at night, and I guess it started pouring rain all of a sudden out of nowhere, and they just ducked into this shed, an empty shed that w- the door was open. But I guess the point was the shed was supposed to be locked, so the grout, whoever takes care of the park, came and thought that they had broken in. Well, he called the police, and this, I don't know, this woman was. So, whatever, for whatever reason, she starts saying, you know, that basically he pushed me in here and was holding me here against my will. And he spent a whole week in jail until the police kind of, you know, heard their stories and heard that hers kept changing and looked in her background and saw that, you know, they did not think she was trustworthy. You know, we've come into an age uh, where... Men are become, are starting to become so frightened on whether or not they should even date a girl. You can't even uh, be a man anymore. It's, it's considered right. bad. You're looked yeah. down upon for whatever reason. And again, it's, oh my God, I'm sorry. I hit my, 
my mute button there, but uh, another thing to consider is the fact that you can't even stand up for other men. No one no. out there is even standing up for any man. And no, look what happened. Look at look at what happened to Judge Kavanaugh. They accuse him. They didn't even have the proof, and it turns out that some of the people that that that, that uh, what was her name Ford uh, Professor Ford. Uh, Boy, she- she was saying how she had, uh, uh, she was trying to get other people involved who had said, well, I never even saw Kavanaugh at, uh, this yep. party. I didn't even, furthermore, why would you continue to go to these parties where they were raping women in the first place if that's what was happening? The most absurd story, the college, they're the high school, the high school drug rape. Oh game. boy. Yes. <laughs> It just that, sounds, was, yeah. that was a total farce. That it just was sounds, the most ridiculous right. thing to take place in 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 the in the in politics w- with that guy. That was completely contrived. You could just tell right from the start. Absolutely, and yet yeah. so many women stood up and said, "Oh, he's guilty. He's guilty. Shame on you. Shame on you." What the hell are you talking about? There, it's innocent until proven guilty, and they did not give him that right. That is the that's how America works. Someone in the chat room, by the the way, someone in the chat room says, and now you defend Avenatti. Well, the thing is, you have to defend everyone out there, and he's He's he hasn't been guilty. He hasn't been proven guilty yet. Period. So he might might be a piece of crap, but he can still get lied about. You never know exactly because none of the facts are in yet, so we can't exactly uh, come down hard on him and say, well, he's just another woman beater. Yeah, this is exactly what they do with Trump. They say, I don't like Trump, therefore, it's okay if we, if we say that he colluded with Russia to impeach him, because right. we don't, you he's know a bad guy Jack, anyway. Jack, so. you know something? I hated Hussein Osama when he was a president. I yeah. hated him. But did you see me flipping cars and breaking windows and burning buildings and punching old men, old veterans in the face and calling them assholes or whatever? No, because I dealt with it like a decent, responsible adult. I didn't sit there and say, well, he's a racist, which all he did was pull the race card constantly. Um, and if you didn't believe in, in what he was doing, you were a racist. That's how they it's live funny. Democrats made a meme about this under Obama. They they made this thanks Obama meme where everything gets blamed on him. Where you get a flat tire, you go thanks Obama. They they absolutely made that into a big joke. And then they called Republicans obstructionists. And now under Trump, they're saying we're going to impeach him. We're going to impeach him. And when you say what for, for what crime, they can't answer you. And you're absolutely right. The Antifa goons, the ski mask. Dozens of thugs organizing with ski masks so that they can commit premeditated violence and not have their identity seen, making their homemade weapons and raiding people that they disagree with. Can you imagine if some, if anybody turned into a feminist speaker or or a black civil rights uh, meeting and started beating them up with bats? Oh yeah, (laughs) my goodness. This this is. this is what I was saying because like, I I was talking uh you know like I said my old my old high school teacher and some friends that I used to know that have unfortunately gone down this kind of cult this identity politics cult path I, you know this is how I try to uh, 
make the comparison, you know, like, can you imagine it this way? And they always come up with something stupid. They say, well, these guys are Nazis and Nazis want genocide. Therefore, right. we and are preemptively defending I, ourselves. I love when they call the president and the administration Nazis and Hitlerists, um, because if this was a fascist country, they'd all be dead. They'd be out. <laughs> they'd be dead because yep. they'd get they'd get locked up in jail and they throw away the key because in a fascist country, you don't call the leader a fascist. You don't call the leader Hitler or a racist because then they'll kill you, period. Yeah, they'll ask so you. These morons in anti Antifa are simply that, morons. They're doing and it's exactly funny. They're what the they ones, say they're not doing. Exactly. They are the ones purging intellectuals with violence. You see, they're not raiding a KKK meeting. They're not really worried about uh, a group of KKK guys. They're going to Tucker Carlson's house to try to break his door in. They're oh, yeah, targeting. He's so me. Yeah, he's such a. Yeah, they're person. targeting anybody who writes something that they don't like. They will, who who speak who speak. They don't like that. So they're doing exactly what we were all drilled into our heads as kids that the Nazis did about purging the intellectual class and this and that. And well, I don't think they even. Uh, it's all part of the social media you know, uh, yeah. mindset. You know, you, 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 everybody starts grouping together. And in addition to like you got the professors and, and, and in college and you got the, the teachers in high school, everybody, they, they, they groom the younger generation, uh, to this liberal democrat, uh, way of thinking. And right away they think that just because what they say, you know, this utopian peace and love, mindset which is a great idea but it doesn't work it's not reality though it's not reality you can't live in a world where you are not protected with with weapons i'm sorry it's just the world is a fucked up place you and, and as i was saying to dr aquino before i will not be that victim that's going to walk into a mall or a shopping center and some mother fucking islamic asshole is going to start shooting up the place because of his god or i'm a, not going to be that person or in a subway Mike. i carry a gun or in a subway there's been a few times where someone goes in there and detonates themselves and they don't even die they just get injured how is that <laughs> amazing absolutely if i know that i'm a, if if i know that i'm not going to be a school shooter or a mass shooter then why should I not buy a gun? That's true. But then the bad guy's gonna. That's right. This this is no matter what you do, mindset. The, no matter what you do, the enemy or the bad guy in this case, the the person who's going to be a terrorist or whatever or a criminal, they're going to get guns, knives, whatever it takes. They're going to get it. So how is it that a person like myself, who goes about getting a, a firearm or firearms legally? And respectively and responsibly, how, how can I be condemned for being a gun, gun owner, gun owner when a criminal or a terrorist can go and get it and still create, you know, a terrible thing against humanity? It's the same thing. Well, at least nope. we got a Ruth Bader Ginsburg is going to be out. <laughs> Justice Ginsburg. So hopefully we'll get another uh, good justice. By the way, oh, the gun man. laws here in California are so screwed up, by the way. 
Why is that, Michael? They must be. I mean, you could only ha- have a magazine holding 10 rounds. Same thing out here. Uh, but I mean, who who's really going to follow that law? Oh, I don't. <laughs> I mean, who does we're, that, we're, man? Come on, give me a break. To, when I go to a gun range to to, to practice, technically speaking, um, you're only allowed to have, I think it's five bullets in your magazine. Meanwhile, Whoa. I have a, uh, meanwhile, I have a Smith and Wesson MP15, which holds like a, a 30 ammo magazine. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, no one's going to be yep. following those rules, especially out here, especially the crooks. I'm sure they're going to go by that law. Yeah. Oh, sure they will. Yeah, I'm sure they'll be abiding the law there. Ridiculous. Um, By the way, caller, do you have anything else to add here before um, we part ways, my friend? Well, once again, thank you guys for everything you do. I'm so impressed with this program. I think I said this last time, but I have to emphasize: I have there's a small list of programs that just nail it, and you're one of them. Great, Jack. This is a great program. Michael does a fantastic job. Absolutely, and uh, I look forward to catching everyone that I can. Amazing. There's a lot out there. Definitely uh, go and subscribe to the YouTube channel there, and you'll find a lot of uh, good shows there in the catalog. Sounds great. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Hopefully, I'll talk to you guys again. You will. Stay safe, my friend. Thanks, Jack. You as well. All right. Bye-bye, Take Jack. it easy. And there goes Jack. And if anyone wants to call in, that number is 760-332-8724. One more time, 760 24. Don't be shy. It's just me and Mike Hideous here doing our thing here. And Mike, it's been a great night so far, right? Yeah, I've had a blast, man. It was a really good show um, with Michael Aquino. And uh, always a, it's always fun to just chat and hang out with you afterwards or before or anytime on, with your program. Oh, yes. And I believe one other soul is coming in uh, in a few moments here. I'm trying to get them on the air here and i think they might be joining us now are you there yes thank you for bringing me on michael yeah what's going on man what's your name by the way uh well my name is um uh lorinas kazimeras martinitis volivonis yeah I, wow I, can i, I mean, call you jim can we just call you jim <laughs> i can call me lauren or lawrence lauren uh, oh yeah that's right you're in the chat room correct ah what what's going on man how you doing hello lawrence Hey, how are you, Mike? I'm doing all uh, right. Thank you. All right. Uh, well, it's a great show. Um, I had some questions for uh, the doctor there. Um, oh, but he's it gone. Seems like a... Yeah, he's gone now. <laughs> next time, next time. Uh, yeah, what do well, you want to ask him? Uh, well, that would be the second part. Uh, so the first part would be the, uh, the social engineering that is happening uh, with uh, basically the subject you've been talking about. And uh, it's not meant to be logical. It is absolutely meant to be destruction of all logic. The Antifa or the alt-right, per se, that are in protests, they are designed to shut anybody up, any individual. And uh, Why? there's no rationalization. You cannot rationalize these people or what they speak because all those ideas are incomplete and they all lead to the total destruction of any sense or any social discourse. I agree. There's no, there's no rhyme, rhythm, or reason to the, in my personal uh, opinion, to the criminal acts that they 
that they do uh, and commit against other people and their property. There's just no, there's no reason for it. Yeah, there's no real excuse, especially harassing people in yeah. certain places where it's just not needed. It's so unnecessary. Yeah. That's not protest. That's that's violence. That's called harassment. Violence. Yeah, harassment. Exactly. And yeah, we're we're seeing but, this weird thing in society here in America, and it's ridiculous, really. I'm not exactly sure why it's happening, but it really does seem to be a part of the liberal left agenda to really try to flip things on its head, for a lack of a better term there. Yep, I agree. Well, here's here's the problem. It's uh, both sides are in on it. That's what's so crazy about it. Well, of course, this uh, is a what I like to refer as a political masquerade. Both the left and the right are completely dirty, and both have done business time and time again in the past. Of course, um, I could get into further detail with some of the businesses that both the left and the right um, claim to dislike and hate each other, but they have no problems giving each other money. And this is something we've seen in the past from both sides of the coin here. I agree. They're all dirty, Mike. Why, uh, they're all fucking dirty. Sorry. You know that, Mike. Well, they're all dirty, but I gotta, I gotta say this. Um, it has always been my belief that there's been the underside of both the Democrat and the Republican Party. And let me, let me start by saying I am not a Republican. I used to be a Democrat. Uh, I had an incident that changed my views on things and I, I, I started voting Republican because even though I'm more of an independent, uh, I do vote Republican, not because I'm a conservative, but I have certain conservative values and, and I believe in certain things about this country. My point is up until this recent election where President Donald Trump uh, won the uh, the votes and, and became our president, it is my firm belief that um, we've only seen – this type of reaction from the left uh, ever since this man was elected president. Um, we didn't see it for George W. Bush uh, Jr. We didn't see it for uh, Bush Sr. Um, we did see it in Reagan back in the, uh, what was it, the early, late 70s uh, into the early 80s. But um, – you know, it, we didn't see it on the on the scale that we're seeing it now, uh, and it is my belief that that is a direct result of social media. Pretty wild stuff, I'd say. Yeah, Lauren, yeah. how do you feel about yeah, that? Yeah, that'd be the conduit of uh, social media, uh, it, but it's it's far more sinister than um, there are many more layers, is what I'm saying. Absolutely, uh, and it's 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 literally the the repeating of the last century seems like you know the the uh, uh what do you call it last century or decade oh no last century like the repeat of the last century what they did with the uh, uh so as many people may know i was born in soviet union i was just going to say you got an accent you must either be from poland yeah, this or dude russia yeah he's not american for sure <laughs> cuz he's smart uh, i did serve in us navy so i i did oh. earn my my right to be here Thank you uh, very much for your service, my friend. Yeah, Absolutely. That's right. Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, I met some uh, uh, <laughs> Knights Templars in Sicily who were in Navy, but uh, that's for next time. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Uh, yes. So what, what, what I wanted to say is that in, 
That's what Soviet Union, what happened was uh, they did the social Marxism uh, and they took away the guns and then 40 million people were killed by the government. Yeah, look at that. So I, I don't understand why it's being repeated and everybody else is going along with it unless they all, uh, you know, sign the deal. Yeah. By the way, history does seem to repeat itself. It, it, it's almost like we've come full circle yet again. We are kind of seeing this proverbial Cold War take place yet again. Well, you know, M- Michael, history repeats itself to those who do not educate themselves on history. Correct. So nobody's taking my guns. You away, agree with that, that, Lauren? Yeah, it's just, it's just really bizarre. Uh, oh, yeah. Weird time, man. The weird time we're in uh, here in 2018. Yep. Yeah, it's a. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's, it's uh, scary. It's a scary time. It's very frightening. It's frightening what's going on. It is. Many people don't realize it, and uh, what's really sad is that the young generation is completely uh, mind control. I blame that on Absolutely. social media, like you were saying, man. Yeah, social media. It's 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 as I said, it's being taught in schools, in high schools, in the colleges. The professors themselves are teaching. You know, you've got to you've got to be liberal, and you've got to go against the Republican and the right 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 wing. It goes back, Mike. It goes back to what we were talking about being an individual instead of going with the masses out there, because the masses, the majority out there, they're the ones who still watch TV pretty predominantly. And of course they go on social media and they basically just repeat what's the more along the lines of what's popular and especially through their peers. They're, they, they don't know how to discern. And that's what we're yeah. seeing so much. Uh, young and old. You know what, Michael? You know, you know how I got to be where I am today. I was, uh, I was a politically correct liberal Democrat for 26 years and I, I kind of always kept blinders on and I never listened to the other side of Republicans are bad. They're just bad. Why are they bad? I don't know. They're just bad. And then I started listening and reading and, and learning more about the right. And I listened could be because I didn't like them. I wanted to hear what they had to say. And as I began to listen to what they had to say, I began to have a better perspective, perspective. I began to have a better, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Perspective. Uh, perspective. Right. Thank you. <laughs> On things for both sides. And then, you know, what happened to me in 2012, that completely made me change my mind. And that's when I completely gave up being a politically correct liberal Democrat. I think it's unhealthy to be politically uncorrect, uh, politically correct, by the way. It is. It's unhealthy. You can't be politically correct about everything. Look, we are the, the this country is the most liberal, politically correct country in the world. That's why everybody wants to come here to live their lives. But the fact of the matter is not every country is politically correct or liberal. And they'll cut your fucking head off before you can count to two. Neither prosperous either. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, caller, did you have anything else to add here? Oh, yes. Uh, Lord. Very peculiar, uh, uh, coincidence, uh, perhaps, uh, uh, in regards to the psyops that are being conducted on YouTube, uh, where the topic of this year seems to be satanic ritual abuse and, uh, pedophilia and so forth. Uh, and even the, uh, recovered memories, uh, was brought up. 
Yes. So it seems like the same operations being run that was copied from the 80s. History. Panic, panic. History repeats itself, my friend. Uh-huh. But I'm wondering, uh, instead of one person being behind it, uh, like Dr. Rokino has uh, mentioned, seems to be a, a consorted effort of the same people that run, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the social engineering psyops. It's like a conglomerate. Could be. Yeah, very, very much could be exactly what you're saying. I definitely believe our own government is definitely behind a lot of these things. The trends, uh, what you see, what's popular on television and social media. It's all rigged, my friend. Something's going on. Oh yeah, there's an agenda and me, you, and this caller are not a part of it. No. I, I think Far Hollywood's got a lot to do with it as well. There is a lot of that involved. <laughs> No doubt. The Hollywood no aspect, doubt. which is um, going back to what we talked about earlier in terms of the war on men in America, the war that is currently ensuing right now, the fact that you can't defend other men out there, that it's frowned upon, that women don't lie, that men are all yeah. just liars and so forth and uh-huh. so forth. We We see it so much time and time again. Um, you don't believe that that's not a psyop. I totally believe it is. Absolutely. A I war mean, on that, masculinity is what's going down. Just the comment about how girls can't lie. I, I can introduce you to go several of my ex-girlfriends and, and they'll, they, <laughs> <laughs> they were all liars. So yeah, oh, I don't yes. want to hear that nonsense. Indeed. Lauren, anything else? Um, just one more remark. Go uh, ahead, my friend. The, the search for the individual's knowledge of oneself, the true self, seems to be in line with uh, the truth for logos. So it's kind of strange that uh, Dr. Kino or uh, Mike, the co-host, yourself, would brand yourself as a Satanist because Satanism is the adversary or against the truth. So it's kind of, I don't know, I find find it to be funny. It's It's a little weird. It's not against the truth. It is the adversary. It's the adversary of Catholicism, of of Christianity. and and that's basically what the adversary is. If you're going to look at the devil or Lucifer as a being, okay, like like Christianity points him out to be, you know, the man with the horns and the red the red skin and the pointy tail who lives in the middle of the earth with a pitchfork. Right, which that, none of it is in the scriptures. That's <laughs> right. Right. But but that Technically, that's more of the description of the adversary where, I mean, you got to, there's a lot to it, my friend. Um, I've been studying the, I started studying the occult in, in 2007, um, actually in 2006. And um, I, I read so many books on the occult. And by the time I got to, uh, I think it was 2009, um, that's when I began to study up on Satanism, modern Satanism. Uh, and what it's all about. And when I say modern Satanism, I mean from 1966 when the Church of Satan was born through the foundations of Dr. Anton LaVey. And he, look man, this guy, just like Dr. Aquino said, this man started, he started a, a, a movement, if you will, a, a belief. And it's, it's, I mean, whatever he may have strayed to, the fact of the matter is this. Satanism is about taking responsibility for your own actions and utilizing your own powers as a human being to to better yourself and become 
better than what you want to be. To, to, to meet your own goals and dreams. That's what Satanism is about. That's why it's called the selfish religion. It aligns with what I talk about in terms of following your true cosmic will. Okay. Indeed, it's about all the answers come from within without outside influence. It's very strange to even talk about, but that's the sort of a philosophy that I carry upon myself that all answers come from within and not from anyone, anyone else, because we don't no. see life through anyone else's eyes, but our own. That's right. And what you see and, and perceive from whatever visions you're, you're perceiving is how you, you live, how you conduct your life, treat others, uh, believe in whatever. That's what it's about. It, it, we're all individuals. We are all on this earth and yet we're all connected in, in one manner through, you know, ourselves as human beings. Very but true. We are all one. We're all one, but we're all individual and correct. And to be told that there are, uh, you know, things in the clouds that are going to, uh, lift us up after we die. I, I just can't seem to grasp that. Yes. And the uh, color. I, I do want to thank you for hanging out here with us this evening. It's been fun talking to you. Thank you, Lawrence. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Yes, Lawrence. And we'll do it again, my friend. Take care. Very well. All right, Have a good evening. You too. You, bye-bye. You too. Take care, buddy. And there he goes. That was Lauren there. And that was a great call, by the way. He has a, a ridiculously hard name to pronounce. <laughs> you think so? Holy <laughs> shit. How do you try to pronounce that? Uh, I just said, hey, guy, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, definitely, Lauren. We do thank you for being a part of the program as well. That was amazing. Great call. Very smart individual. I I like people who are definitely intelligent and know how to bring it here on the program. Well, Jack did it too. Jack was a good caller. Jack was a great caller as well out there in Big PA. Yeah, of all things. Big PA, baby, yeah. I, can you I, can you imagine that he's out there in PA? Yeah, I guess I have to. <laughs> just like you. Yeah. You guys are just hanging out there. Yeah, uh, hanging out. Yeah, well, I was shoveling snow yesterday. Yeah, clearing that driveway. Oh my God, twelve inches, ten to twelve inches. We got like Jesus boom, Christ. Like five hours. Oh. Oh, I think it put you on hold there, Mike. Uh oh, that's not good. I think I might have uh, accidentally hung up on Mike there. Yeah, everyone was calling in, and I tried to take a call. And I'm I, here. Oh, there you are. I, I'm sorry about that. I was trying to take a call here, and it's it dumped good. you. It's okay. I'm here. I'm not sure why, but yeah, I, I believe Star has been calling in now for, uh, it seems like, a long time. Star, did you have something to add? Yeah, but I forgot. I think been for so long. Oh boy. I'm sorry about that. Everybody was, was trying to get in here. All kinds of calls coming in. Yes, I, I, hey, look at you, man. Superstar. Anyway, uh, what I was going to talk about originally was the, uh, Plato, uh, caves. But things, things have evolved since then. Mm-hmm. And we're getting into the gender thing, which is really a dangerous thing because humanity is made. Dangerous uh, for who? You or me? No, dangerous for the species of humanity, the race of humanity. How so? Explain. Oh, stop. 
I'm just asking no, a question. I, I, yeah, I, I'm I wondering. Want to know too. Yeah, explain. Okay. Um, whether it's the deep state, cabal, shadow government, anyway, setting gender against gender. What better way to eradicate a species than to separate the genders? Well, yeah, but who is the one who's bringing up the genders here? It's the female, the feminists, who are saying... I don't think it's strictly... I don't think it's strictly... Okay, okay. I stand corrected. I stand corrected. However... A large portion of it is, is, let's say it is both men and women within the feminist movement. Okay, the feminist movement is generated by what? The cabal? The deep state? Whatever, whatever force is trying to separate or, or put genders at odds with each other? Or whether it's Satan? I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to say that. I'm sorry. But the the negative force which wants to eradicate human life on Earth, Liberalism. the best way to do that is put gender against gender. Right. Then and the leftists are the ones who are starting re- it. Then we wouldn't want to uh, reproduce. We wouldn't want to have more children. If we hated each other, and that sucks because I love people, and people are genders. I I don't start. It, yes. If if you if you look at what's going on right now, uh, with um, you, you talk about how um, uh, what we were just saying about the eliminating the genders. Um, I mean. <sighs> Well, don't get me wrong. I don't want to think that, and I don't want anybody to think out there that I'm I'm against homosexuals. But what I'm trying to say is that look at the homosexual movement right now. Uh, more men are hooking up with more men. More women are hooking up with more women, and it's alleviating the um, natural process of men and women mm-hmm. who are straight yes. having children. Right. Do you want to know why? Why? Because of overpopulation, it is Mother Nature's way of cutting down on the population, but still having love. So how is it that when the Muslims have about, oh, I don't know, 40, 50 wives and about 140 children, how does that compare to homosexuality? When they're tra- training their children at age six and nine to strap bombs to their chest to go blow somebody up who's a homosexual, um, how, how does that fall into? Where's the comparison? Because I don't see it. Wait, wait, what? You're you're uh, saying oh. that? Hello? No, 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 no. I am. Whoa, Muslims, they have a mind thought that wants to exterminate all humanity except for the way they see it. Right. And that so sucks. No, that's so wrong. I'm 100% on the same page as you are, sir. Okay. Go on. Oh, I was going to say the same thing. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, Uh, I was trying to make my, my, my point was is that you've got... The left movement, which is is uh, pointing fingers at everybody who's on the right and doesn't see 
the left's agenda and what they want, socialism, communism, and free uh, uh, medicine and so on and so forth. These are the people who are, are creating the separation, if you will, between Americans because all of a sudden nobody but nobody on the left wants to be able to take the next four to eight years and deal with the presidential administration the way it is. We had to deal with it when Hussein Osama was in, in office, and he was screwing up the government left and right, but nobody said anything to him. But now the left is freaking out because there's a Republican in office, and he's trying to do things for the country and the people, and they're calling him Hitler and saying he's fascist. I, I just don't get it. They're the ones that are creating the separation, not the right. Right. Uh, we're on the same page there. Sure. I am pro-Trump. I am pro what he's doing. Good. I, I, I think I think there was a misunderstanding with us, um, I think. Uh, I'm pro-Trump. Uh, does that uh, – what are your thoughts? Well, I know Michael doesn't like him, and that's fine. Um, yeah, that's okay. I don't like anyone, though. You have a free choice. <laughs> Look, I, I, I don't agree with everything that President Trump says and or does. However, I will give him this. It is my firm belief that he is standing up to protect this country, mm-hmm. which was left in shambles by the former President Hussein who decimated our military, who changed the uh, um, uh, the medical care that we had for everyone, which was nothing was wrong with it. It wasn't broken. And now it is. Uh, he, he did a lot of. In fact, it was years ago, him, um, uh, Hillary, Obama, 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 Obama. Wait, hang on. Obama. Hang on. Don't confuse and me. Bush a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm losing my train of thought here. Hillary and Obama were also saying that this was years ago. They were saying that immigration needs to be controlled. And now when when President Trump does it, he's considered to be a racist. What the hell, man? What the hell? No, that's uh, he's right. We want immigration. We want people who come here. To who have their heart in our country. They are escaping, uh, being shot, being put down for their release, and they want to come here. Okay, that's a small part. That's like 5 or 10% of the illegal immigration that's trying to come here to take over the country. Right. They come and here waving the flags of their own country. Exactly. When they- when you they see, say they want to come to this country. Carried by the, the caravan, would uh, a person who is escaping a country they're being oppressed by carry their flag? No. No. Yeah, thanks for the Mexico call, by the way. Uh, them asylum, yeah, thanks yeah, for the call, by the way, Star. They, they wanted asylum from our country. We got to get going here, Star. Thanks for the call. See, told you. <laughs> Good luck. Thank you, Star. I believe there is another soul that wanted to get in here. He's been waiting for so long, and I feel terrible. Who's this? Um, well, that's if he answers here. He's been, uh, he tried to call in a couple times, and unfortunately, so many people were calling in here, and I couldn't get to him. 
and now I feel bad. Oh, yeah, it's well, another thing. There's a bunch of calls that I, I couldn't even get to, and uh, we probably won't even get to him now because I don't think he's going to answer. Uh-oh. Oh, well. Well, don't feel too bad, Michael. Yeah, you that's did fine. A good job. I try to get everybody in there, but, you know, I couldn't do it. No and it happens. Oh, well. Not a big deal, not a big deal. And, of course, uh, since we were talking, well, you were talking about Trump there, um, you know, I don't completely dislike him. Yeah, I, think I, he's know, done I know some, you don't like him, but I, well, at least you're not you're not breaking things and setting well, stuff no, on fire. Well, no, of course not. I don't I don't take it personally. Right, and 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 that's my point. Like I said, when o- Osama was in uh, Osama, when Hussein was in office <laughs> for Osama. eight years, Osama bin Laden. <laughs> no, when Hussein was in office for for eight years, you didn't see me throwing rocks through windows and and hitting uh, uh, Vietnam vets and punching them and calling them you know names and you know I just dealt with it. I dealt with it because I knew that he was going to be in for eight years, maybe not, maybe four, but it, it did turn out to be eight, and I knew that eventually he would be gone. But people can't seem to deal with with President Trump. I don't know why. Well, he gets lots of people fired up. Sure. Very fired up, and I think that's probably it. Even I, even people in uh, even people over at the uh, Pentagon don't seem to like him very much. It's possible. You know what? Well, judging from my conversation with someone who's very much still a part of the Pentagon, just by talking to that individual, I could tell the whole tone of his voice was not one that was favorable of uh, Donald J. Trump. And you know what? That be that as it may, I I I can't. You know, I I I'm gonna have to just take your word for that. Uh, your word on that. Yeah, he didn't like but him. My my point is this though, Michael. <sighs> the guy's done more in two years that he said he was gonna do than I think any president in the last thirty years has done. Well, I don't disagree with that at all. You know, and again, like I said, I don't agree with everything he's done. Well, I don't. You really can't agree with everyone out there, or else you'll be nuts. No, but my, you know, I, again, I, I, I have point, to repeat though. myself. I'm not going out there breaking things just because I don't agree with everything he says. Some people are, though. <laughs> uh, some, yeah. Some are just insane. But the truth <laughs> of the matter is that his administration has had more lineup changes than a major league baseball team, and that's never yep. really been. There's never really been another time where we've actually seen that many changes in anyone's cabinet before. And it isn't true. It's incredible to sit back and watch. Of course, there's lots of good, lots of bad, just like every president before him. But, uh, you know, again, look at all the, the, the craziness that's going on. There's lots of crazy. Yeah. Everybody's, you know, they just want to stand up against him and call him names and put him down and this, that and the other. You know, he's being... He is being investigated for Russian collusion. Hillary? No, she's not. Even though she was the one who was directly affiliated with Russian collusion. Can you believe that though? That we no, I can't. I meant, I meant to say, can you even believe that she might have at one time even been considered to be the president of the United States? That's insane. And now she's considering possibly running in 2020. My God, I, I know. And here's the soul I was just inquiring about uh, yuck nasty is here you were calling in uh lots of times there and i apologize lots of people were trying to get in here and shit i couldn't get to everyone 
Right on, baby. Hey, thanks for having me on your fucking show. Partner. Yeah, what's up, man? How you been? <laughs> I was just on your show not long ago, and we had a great time riffing on things and just um being wild. I hope I didn't really anger your fans too much, or your listeners, rather. The only person that was angered was me. You were I was angry. So pissed off at you. <laughs> Why were you mad at me for? Shut up, motherfucker. No one was What's going on, man? How are you doing? I'm having a great time just, you know, trying to get to your call and we were going back and forth with everyone here and I thought, God damn it, I need to get, I need to get Yuck in here. Oh yeah. I need to have some fun with him. Who else is on the call? Uh, just me and, and Mike Hideous here. Hi. Oh. Hey, nice to meet you, Mike. Hi, sir. How are you? What was your name? I'm sorry. I'm Yuck Nasty. Mike, can I call you Yuck? You can definitely call me Yuck. That's what I call him. <laughs> Hey man, I'm. Uh, hey man, I banged a chick to that was all she had on was one of your sweatshirts back in the day, buddy. Get the hell out, really? You motherfucking right, man. Bravo, bravo. Oh yeah, man. Amazing. Did you get any video of that? <laughs> hey man, this was before phones. You know, it was high school, nineties, late nineties. I just wanted to see her wearing my shirt. That's all. <laughs> oh wow, man. Hell yeah, man. Oh, thank you for adding me to the call right now with fucking Mr. Hideous. Yo, I'm, hey, look, let me say something, man. I met Michael Deacon before you did, and he, the first time he ever has you on, he was so fucking pumped up, dude. And now you've been out, what, like 10 times? About that, yeah. yeah. Fucking friends now. Hell yeah, man. Michael. That's- Michael contacted me when he, he, uh, was first doing end of days radio. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly when it was Mike, but, um, I remember you contacted me and I gave you a real hard time. I'm like, I want to see the questions you're going <laughs> to ask me and so on and so forth. But you were really cool about it. And then after that, after we did that first interview from that point on, um, yuck, I would get question. I would get question. I'd get phone calls from Michael wishing me a uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Halloween, Happy New Year, you know, Happy Birthday. I mean, the guy, he's a, he's, he's a great guy. He's a, he's got a great voice for the radio. His show is great and he has me on, so I can't complain. <laughs> liar whore, liar whore, and you know it. And I'm not a whore, okay? Not anymore. By the way, Yuck, by the way, Yuck, I, I need to get your opinion here on Michael Avenatti. You know, he's taking some heat for domestic abuse. Uh, I did want to get your opinion because I know at one time or another, a woman has tried to struck you. We've all been there. Yes. Do you remember the first time? I I remember a long, long, long time back, the very first time a woman uh, became enraged with me. And this was probably like my junior year in high school. And I recall walking down the hallway during one of the uh, passing periods with my then former girlfriend. And I remember getting into some sort of argument with her, and it stemmed from me trying to end that whole relationship, which I successfully did during that passing period, except she was enraged, and she actually did try to slap me. But luckily for me, I knew it was coming, and I successfully dodged that one. But all the kids, they all saw it, and uh, they all popped. And what, what pop means is that means they all went crazy. And it was a bit of a scene, yuck. Luckily, there were uh, no teachers around because I'm sure I would have gotten in trouble for it. 
Oh, that just jars me, man. That totally jars me. You know, you got a woman that comes at you and, you know, strikes you in some cases. Then you try to either dodge it, get away, protect yourself. And in some cases, look, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Somebody hits you. Let's, no, let's be, let's be specific. Somebody punches you. Right. In this case, your significant other punches you. How do you, like, how do you, how do you hold back? How do you, how do you say to yourself, you know what? I want to punch you in the mouth, but I know that I'm a guy and I'll break your face because you're a girl and I don't want to do that. So the logic is if you don't want to get punched by, you know, somebody that hits you, then don't fucking hit them. Exactly. That was my point. What about you, Yuck? Have you ever gotten into that sort of ordeal where you were struck and you had to get out of the room quickly? Or did you DDT a woman? Um, um, hold on. You gotta tell a night story. Uh oh. Yeah. Oh my god. My, my woman's here. Your woman. She she probably didn't like that. Yeah, she's just hanging out and shit. You know. Amazing. Hello, Yuck's woman. Hi. Yeah, her name is Jody. She's a beautiful <laughs> fucking woman. Jody. And I have been having a great fucking night, haven't we, baby? Yeah, it's funny because we've just been recently, I've just recently found out about some crazy stories about Yuck and Yes. Oh, fucking- no. Yes. Oh, yes. God. Crazy, crazy. Oh, I will God. never date a black woman ever again in my life, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's I'm incredible. I'm part of Max, Max Pole. Then fucking he's like, why not? I'm like, dude, I have got beaten up in my sleep. I told you. I told you. See, Mike, see, that's one of the, one of the, one of my biggest fears, man. Just waking up with a knife to my throat or a pillow to my face. Well, I just had, like one of my repressed, um, oh, man. emotions came up or whatever. I forgot that I, um, I went to the hospital once and the cops came there like, Hey, what's going on? Why'd you get stabbed? And I'm like, oh shit, my fucking black girlfriend stabbed me. But I'm not trying to tell him. That's crazy. It was arm. I was like, I fell on a, I fell on the scissors. Yeah, I was doing some acrobatic stuff with WWE. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so on it. So Jody has been, uh, she's been listening to your stories then from the past. Just recently. Just recently. I, you know, home. the reason why I ask you is because. Came That's out. the one that the just one, came out. The one where Uh-oh. I forgot I went to the hospital and the cops mm-hmm. came asking me to, for her name. Okay. <laughs> that is hilarious. You know, one of the reasons why I'm asking you that is because since I have this program, eventually any woman that I'm seeing or see will eventually find out about the program. So it has caused me a lot of issues, especially some of the earlier uh, programs I've done. And I was a lot more open with a lot of the things uh, in my past. And uh, yeah. a lot of women go back and listen to that, and they're like, no, nah, I'm not going to be with you ever. <laughs> or talk to yeah, this guy. It was Google your fucking face. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much over. Hey. There's just as much women abuse as there is men abuse. There yeah. really is. There really is. Really? Yeah. Dude, dude, you get smacked in the face. What is your first reaction? And it's hit back. Hit back? Yes, yes, yes. Hit back. Yeah. And it sucks because... We will be more fucked. Yeah, you're going to you're going to jail right away. That's right, dude. I I, I just experienced this in 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 uh, August. Uh, I had to go to court. I had to go to court twice and and prove my innocence. That and I had to bring a witness who my former had had admitted to that 
I never initially hit that person. Yeah. And, you know, I, I it's just so fucked up. Like you say, as, as a guy, um, you can get accused and never have done anything. You, you don't even have to know a, a, a chick and she could accuse you of having molested her, having raped her, having touched her, looked at her funny, whatever, or hit her or whatever. And, and you, as a guy, you can, you can go and deal with some serious time. Yep. If, if by chance they seem to believe her. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, that is disgusting, yeah. honestly. Right a woman that's been through all this domestic abuse in yeah. like a really bad way, yeah. that is just it, disgusting. It hurts. And so disrespectful to it, women that have been through this. Exactly. That's why I, I think, that's yeah. right, Jody. That's why I think the Me Too movement is pure evil. I think it's all just a big lie, and it hurts the real women out there who have been abused. How many of you guys out there? Raise your hand if, if you if you believe this. How many of you guys out there be- believe that uh, in that Kavanaugh case, the woman, uh, Professor Ford, I believe her name was. How many of you believe that she did have severe psychological issues, and that maybe, just maybe, she was indeed raped, but not no. by Kavanaugh? See, I just put my hand down as soon as you said she was raped. I do. I don't even know the girl you're talking about, but no, I'm, no, no. Remember, I'm, remember the shit we were watching. Long time ago. No, no. Oh. With, with the with the fucked up woman in front of the courts talking about this guy raped me and, and, and it was a yes. big deal. Okay, yes, that's what I was. Okay, her, that was a long time her. ago. Her. Like oh yeah. Ago. Yeah, it was a month ago. She's on us. She's on the same page now. Okay, Go now, ahead, baby. Right. So I'm saying. Me and Tim had this conversation, and that's exactly what we said happened. Yeah, I think very much that she was uh, uh, somehow molested in some way or form, but I think that she has other psychological issues which are getting in the way of what the truth actually was. And it, not necessarily, I wouldn't say necessarily like a sexual Bro. abuse, but it could just be any, you know. Look at, look at, look at, um. And look now at, she's got a mentally. What's a, what's the dude saying, Claire, that wrote the book where, where he was sucking and blowing and smoking crack with Obama? <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker had no problem in telling you this is what was happening on this date and that date and this date. But this chick's like, I don't remember when Thomas got the um job at the Safeway. Come <laughs> on, man. Yo, her her body. Okay, what she dude her, her her body language did not ring at all. It was not in, it was not on the same. It nothing rang with what she was saying. Yeah, she wasn't in sync. That reminds me of a. Uh... That a Canadian politician, Rob Ford, smoking crack. Oh yeah. On video. Isn't that amazing? He's out there smoking crack with the brothers. I, I, I smoked with him. That's pretty wild <laughs> stuff. I mean, I'd smoke with him too, but not crack. <laughs> I might have smoked crack with him. I might have, you might have uh, done some child trafficking with Rob Ford. Last dick, real dick, whatever. You give it to my face. That's like the worst thing that you could see a politician coming out of a hotel room with like a child or something. Oh. And a crack pipe. And a crack pipe. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Jerry, that's what his name was. Jerry. Like, I'm voting for that guy. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, yeah, yuck, I do want to thank you for being a part of the program as well as Jody there. I do want to thank both of you for hanging out with me here and I'm looking at the time and it's almost midnight. Hell yeah, man. 
Hey, man, thanks for having me, Michael. You know I fucking love you, Bob. I love you, too, man. I wish I could have brought you in here sooner, but, you know, there's all these crazy people that want to come in here and hang out. Man, I'm hey. glad. I was glad uh, you fucking added me in. I'm glad that I met uh, Mike Hideous, man. Hey, Mike Hideous. Hey, yuck, man. It, it, it was really nice talking to you. Thank and you Jody. So much. It was I nice talking to Jody, it. too. Jody, thank you very much for calling in, guys. Hell yeah, man. Thank you, thank guys, you. man. You guys have a good night. Penis. You guys hang yeah. out. <laughs> Stay safe. Hey, man, penis, partner. Take your vitamins. Hell yeah, penis. Penis. Bye-bye. Vagina. My boy. Vagina. No, it's penis. I'm a, I'm a liberal. He likes the scissor. <laughs> yeah. And there he goes, yuck nasty into the ether there with Jody. And love them both. Love everyone who calls in here. I really do appreciate everyone out there. And, of course... Mike, I'm so glad you, you hung out here tonight. Oh, my pleasure, Michael. My pleasure. Yeah, wasn't that fun? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, it's been amazing. And again, I want to thank you so much for being a part of the program. It's been a tremendous night. It was quite successful here. I should be thanking you. Um, I, I want to sincerely thank you for allowing me to have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Aquino and, and having me on as a co-host with you. Uh, you know, I, I always love coming on, but particularly with Dr. Aquino, it, it's just, it's a big deal for me. Thank oh, you. Oh, it's a, it's a big deal for me as well. It's always a tremendous honor and pleasure. Like you said, whenever I get to talk to someone of that sort of intelligence and again, his intelligence rivals so many others out there that I've talked to. But I wouldn't even say rival. I would say it, it trumps them tremendously by far. Yeah. He's just, uh, you know, he's, he's got his own sensibilities and his own smarts, uh, for lack of a better term. You know, it, it, the guy is a, he's just full of knowledge and he's been like a that wealth, all his life. A wealth of knowledge. It's insane. It's like the man isn't even human. <laughs> wow. Incredible In stuff. Any event, Michael, thank you so much. I had a great time tonight. Thank you. Clockwise, it's been a tremendous honor and pleasure as well to speak with you and to have you on the program and have you interact with some of my listeners. Thanks, buddy. Been amazing. Time to go to bed. Yes, sir. It, it is late. Once again, Mike, thank you so much, and we'll talk on the flip side. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Mahalo. <laughs> Penis. <laughs> Penis. There you go. Bye-bye. <laughs> Good night. Good night. And there he goes. I want to thank all of you out there on the TuneIn Radio app. And, of course, those on YouTube. It's been a, an amazing time. I'm Michael Deacon. Thanks for listening. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place. And life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. What do you think happens to someone after they die? I don't know. Like, do you believe in heaven? I never did. The whole idea of an afterlife, but now I don't know. So I have these dreams about about your mom. Yeah, and we have long talks about you, how you're doing, which she sort of knows, but I tell her anyway. So what is that? It's sort of an afterlife, isn't it? I'm starting to forget her. Yeah, I'm sure we will, Michael.
Practice, you'll get good at it.